The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. City Council. If you are able, please rise and join us for a moment of silence, followed by the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation. Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Would our clerk please call the roll of council? Councilmember Hayner? Here. Councilmember Dish? Present. Councilmember Griswold? Here. Councilmember Song? Absent. Councilmember Grant? Here. Councilmember Rodina? Here. Mayor Taylor? Here. Councilmember Iyer? Here. Councilmember Nelson? Here. Councilmember Briggs? Here. Councilmember Ramlawi? Here. We have a quorum. 
We have a motion, please, to approve the agenda. Moved by Councilmember Iyer, second by Councilmember Radina. Discussion of the agenda. All in favor? Opposed? The agenda is approved. Do we have communications today from our city administrator? No, sir. We now come to public comment reserve time. Public comment reserve time is an opportunity for members of the public to speak to council and the community about matters of municipal interest. To speak at public comment reserve time, one needs to have signed up with our clerk in advance. Uh, speakers have three minutes in which to speak, so please pay close attention to the time. Uh, our clerk or the handy light will notify you when 30 seconds are remaining and when your time has expired. When your time has expired, please conclude your remarks and cede the floor. Our first speaker today is Francis Tadoro. I am the executive director of the State Street District Association, and I am here tonight on behalf of the association and our members to request your support for agenda item CA6. The State Street District and the DDA staff have been working together over the last several years to design an outstanding street and sidewalk project that will go with the capital improvements needed to the 200 and 300 blocks of South State. The project was originally approved to begin in the spring of 2020 and was delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic. But during that time, the DDA and the neighborhood continued to meet with the community and fine tune the design. Planters and trees will be added to the block with little removal of parking spaces. The zero curbing will allow the parking spaces to be converted to patio space in the warmer months to create a more pedestrian atmosphere. We believe that this current project design will meet the needs of the neighborhood, overall community, visitors, and be an exceptional addition to the downtown. With your support and approval, we are looking forward to the project beginning in the coming weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Mojan Savabiasafani. Hello, Ann Arbor. My name is Mojgan Savabiasafani, and I'm running for city council seat in Ward 4. So vote for me in August. I'm here uh, because, yet again, another human rights massive violation by Israel has caused the death of Shirin, Ab Shirin Abu Aghla, who is, who is a woman, who was a woman, murdered by Israeli apartheid state. I am here because I am extremely angry and this, at this city council for having failed multiple tasks on their uh, plate. Uh, I wonder what they think. Why do you think that the American liberal democracy is folding like a cheap deck of cards? Do you think it happened overnight? I'm asking you liberal Americans sitting on our city council benches. Do you think it happened overnight? No, it didn't. It didn't happen overnight. The fact that the fascists are mobilized and are coming for us did not happen overnight. The fact that our rights, women's rights, reproductive rights, voting rights are under massive attack by right wing is not is not something that happened overnight. It happened because liberal Americans like yourselves for decades lied. 
They said they are anti-racist, but they are deeply racist. Your racism is obvious for everyone to see. It is okay to you to murder brown and people of color. You have spoken not one word against atrocities of Israel, committed with your full support and with your tax dollars for decades, despite the fact that hundreds and thousands of people have come, petitioned you, asked for you to say at the very least that you're against military aid to Israel. You lie, and that lie has brought us to the brink of total destruction in this country, and the world can see it. The shame is on you. I want to ask people of Ann Arbor to stop voting for these liars. Start voting for people who care about human rights. These people pretend they are progressives. Are you progressive if none of you has ever brought up $15 minimum wage for workers of Ann Arbor? Are you? Do you consider yourself progressives? That's just a shame. You consider yourself progressives when for 20 more, more than 20 years, you talk about crisis of housing and Thank have you. not produced a single. Thank you. Don't vote for these thank racist you. bastards. Thank you. And you don't have to thank me. Thank you. Don't thank me. Our next speaker is Cynthia Harrison. This on? Yes, it is. Good evening, city council members. This past Saturday, on a beautiful sunny afternoon, where people were picking up food to feed their families, tragedy unleashed on a predominantly black community in Buffalo, New York, when in a racially motivated act of hate, 10 people were killed by a lone gunman who authorities say subscribed to a white supremacist ideology. Authorities retrieved an alleged manifesto containing racist and anti-seminist tropes and an assault weapon with the N-word etched across the top. As a black woman, a lifelong member of the Ann Arbor community and a community advocate, I would just like to say that hate and racism have no place in our country. And I am shattered, sickened, and devastated. May God bless the victims, their families, loved ones, and the entire community. Budgets are an expression of our community's policies and priorities. I make this statement on Buffalo to emphasize my hope that Ann Arbor's budget is in the service of practices and programs that make what happened there impossible here. In summary, I invite you to join me 
in a moment of silence where I would like to dedicate the remainder of my time to mourn those that lost their lives in Saturday's massacre, the entire Buffalo community, and our nation. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Blaine Coleman. Ms. Harrison was 100% right about what happened in Buffalo. And she's 100% right when she says budgets are an expression of, what did you say? An expression of basically what, what the hell you are about as a city. When those 10 people were murdered in Buffalo, the federal government should have swooped in with all its resources to eliminate racism and eliminate poverty uh, immediately. They're not going to do that. They have swooped in to shovel weaponry to white people in the Ukraine who are being occupied what is it, $40 billion worth? That's their priority. When you talk about what this government is doing to murder Palestinians, the response you get from the city council is not just stone cold silence. Every single member of the city council, with one exception, Briggs, is staring intently down at their desk and refusing to even make eye contact. Well, Dish just did, and Griswold just did, and so did Ramalawi. The Walter Cronkite of Palestine this woman on this board, Shireen Abu Akel, see her? She was murdered by the Israeli military a few days ago. You all are not doing anything about it. Israel has murdered many journalists. You've done nothing about it except shovel money to Israel and make damn sure that no Palestinian human rights resolution will ever be approved by this city council. That's the one consistent priority of this city council from January of 1984 to this day. The one consistent priority of the Ann Arbor City Council has been to throw all its weight against any resolution for Palestinian human rights. While every, every organization of human rights in this world Ma'am, we can it's only have true one speaker at a time. That Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch and Beth Salem and other human rights organizations have declared Israel is an apartheid state. And yet, 
the one consistent policy of this city council has been to keep murdering Palestinians. To keep murdering Palestinians. Thank you. That's your one policy. Thank you. You racist dog of a mayor. Thank you. You scream for Ukraine. You scream for Ukraine. Thank you. And you refuse to say a word for Palestinians. You Sir. racist dog of a mayor. Thank you. You're a racist dog of a mayor. Ma'am, thank Don't you. Don't thank me. Thank you. Racist. No need to thank us. You lying racist man. Thank you, ma'am. Our next speaker is Glenn Heber. Mayor, Mr. Heber has had to um, leave, so he will request not to speak tonight. Thank you very much. Uh, for those at home, Mr. Heber is, uh, has requested that his name be pulled. Our next speaker uh, on the phone is Glenn Nelson. Mr. Nelson, phone number ending in 733. Go ahead, Mr. Nelson. My name is Glenn Nelson. I am one of the leaders of Citizens for Mental Health and Public Safety. We leaders urge you to vote yes on Amendment 1 in your deliberation. But passage of Amendment 1 would have two primary effects. First, it would appropriate approximately 567000 for the creation of a deflection program. This program would deflect people in crisis or difficulty including but not limited to those living with a mental health condition from criminal justice and law enforcement procedures and instead connect them with appropriate services. This will require public education as well as civil service training on the options for health. It would be the ideal complement to the unarmed response teams which are already in the budget and it should include procedures and programs that deflect adolescents from the juvenile justice system to appropriate caring and helpful services. <clears throat> Residents support rethinking how we provide public safety in Ann Arbor. Second passage of Amendment 1 would appropriate approximately 333000 to Washington on coordinated funding. Coordinating funding is a proven program for delivering human services to those who need them. The administrative costs are lower when the city employs this one program rather than dividing the funds among multiple channels, each one of which interacts directly with the city. Residents strongly support increased human services in general and coordinated funding in particular, as shown by the ARPA survey. Please vote yes on Amendment 1. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Elliot Brennan. Caller with the phone number ending in 833. Mr. Brannon, go uh, ahead. Hello, my name, is, my name is Elliot Brannon. I'm a medical student at the University of Michigan, and I'm calling about tenants' rights in Ann Arbor. Unfortunately, the situation for many renters in Ann Arbor is now worse than before the early leasing ordinance that was passed last year. I know this from canvassing with Ann Arbor Risings of Tenants, a growing tenant group in the area. This is certainly the fault of predatory landlords who created a system of reservation lists that do not guarantee housing, that are often not refundable, and from people I've spoken to, cost up to $2,000 to get onto. This ridiculous system needs to be addressed before the next rental cycle. 
Having worked with the Ann Arbor Tenants Union, Washington Camp Outreach, Huron Valley BSA, and Legal Services of South Central Michigan, attended meetings of the Housing Commission and the Board on Housing and Human Services, the more I learn about housing, the more complex issues like affordability seem to become. I do come from a position that questions the need from the, for the accumulation of wealth to the extent that a group of folks that we call landlords even exist. But I also understand that landlords actually only make marginal profits and the overarching financial systems that support landlords leads to a concentration of wealth and an even smaller number of investors, which I believe contributes to the core of housing injustices. Some of this last point came into play during the unjust and undemocratic passing of the 1989 ban on rent control in Michigan. To increase tenant protections, right to renew legislation needs to be passed before the next rental cycle. You all know about predatory landlord practices from hearing from tenants about ELO. You know that landlords called into city council almost in tears about how much the early leasing ordinance would hurt tenants. This incredible gaslighting was further highlighted by landlords suing the city at the same time they were getting around ELO through reservation lists. I hope that right to renew legislation will help solve this issue, but it also hinges on if the city is able to enforce the legislation, which is being proposed by GEO, the Graduate Student Union, and Ann Arbor Rising for Tenants. I am glad to say that the ordinance has been endorsed by the Huron Valley Area Labor Federation and also from a recent GEO election survey supported by Mayor Taylor. I encourage you to act now. Renters cannot afford another cycle of these ridiculous reservation lists. You can expect to hear more from us in the coming weeks, months, and years. 30 seconds. Thank you. Are there communications from council? Councilmember Nelson. I'd like to bring everyone's attention to a public safety open house that is happening on May 21st from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Fifth Avenue adjacent to the firehouse between Huron and Ann. Um, and also, I suppose it's technically in the fifth ward, but it's ward four adjacent. Um, we just um, got word that they're, um, the bike lane southbound on Main Street, um, this would be the west side of Main Street between Madison and Mosley, um, is going to be occupied by construction starting Monday, May 23rd through Friday, August 18th. So for most of the summer, um, that block of Main Street, the bike lane on the west side of Main Street is going to be occupied by construction. Thanks. Councilmember Redina. Thank you, Mayor. Um, once again, I want to call attention to uh, some vacancies that are occurring in the near future on the on one of the commissions that I serve on. The Housing and Human Services, Services Advisory Board is looking for applicants. So folks in the community who have a special interest in that area, please uh, put your names forward for consideration. Uh, I also wanted to take a moment to recognize a former Ann Arbor City Council member, Wendy Woods, who during U of M's commencement ceremonies this year uh, was honored with the Charles Moody and Lester Mont's Lifetime Achievement Award uh, for her lifetime of service and contributions, not just at the university, but in the greater Ann Arbor community. Um, Wendy was at, on council during my time as a student, which I selfishly point out because it really wasn't that long ago. Um, and I had the privilege of volunteering on one of her campaigns. Uh, I've always deeply respected her service and just wanted to use this as another opportunity to lift up her work uh, in the community over the years. 
Um, and finally, for those who are listening at home and who continue to hear calls for a $15 minimum wage here in Ann Arbor, um, actually that would be a pay cut for our city employees. Uh, we have a standard, we have a living wage in, we have a living wage in Ann Arbor. Ma'am. Uh, that, that was set at $15.66. We have a living wage that was set at $15.66. It was increased to $16.52 on April 30th. And the state of Michigan does not allow us to set a minimum wage beyond our own employees. Thanks. Councilmember Briggs. Thanks. Um, a couple of um, items. One, I wanted to just um, let folks know um, about something that's happening this weekend, Bike Palooza, which is on May 22nd from noon to 2 p.m. at 350 South 5th Street, the old Y-Lot. Um, this is being sponsored by the um, DDA, Washington Bicycling and Walking Coalition, um, Annabers, our own OSI. Um, and the transportation department, um, and it's going to feature a lot of different sort of activities there, from um, bike helmet fittings and giveaways by Safe Kids of Huron Valley, face painting, um, bike repair, um, Bloom Mead Works will be there. There will be cargo bike demos from Urban Riders, um, and lots of other things. So a fun event that's happening this weekend, um, and then on a more somber note, I just wanted to um, also. Um, as, as we heard in, in public comment, um, just take a moment to recognize what happened in, in Buffalo this, this past weekend. Um, and you know, I, I came from the Second Baptist Church, the prayer vigil, prior to, to coming here. Um, and I think it's incumbent upon us that we don't leave this simply to the, the faith-based community to call out evil in, around our country and our communities um, and recognize the role that government has played historically um, and today in terms of um, facilitating this. Um, the work that we do is um, incumbent upon us to address this. Councilmember Dish. I wanted to remind everybody that uh, if you missed February's Zero Waste Challenge, there will be another one that you can sign up for now that will run from June 5th to June 11th. And as we know, we live in a throwaway, don't think about it tomorrow economy. And we need to make a transition to a reuse economy. And this Live Zero Waste Challenge will offer a lot of tips for how to do that, including how you can entertain in a zero waste manner. Um, it will give you a, uh, we have developed a map of all of the places in the city where you can find used goods or bring your own containers and fill them up or shop for ice cream in a place that's more efficient in its HVAC system than a heating and cooling system. Uh, I could go on forever actually, but I won't. And just urge you to sign up at livezerowaste.org which is a nonprofit run by two kids who grew up in Ann Arbor, or who as kids grew up in Ann Arbor, and now they are adults trying to change the world. So. Councilmember Iyer. Thank you. Um, so as Councilmember Song is absent, uh, this evening, I, uh, I, I asked her if there's anything she wanted me to communicate, and she mentioned um, that it is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and um, that the AADL, the Ann Arbor District Library, will have a series of events for the whole month um, 
focusing on the unique contributions of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders to our city. Um, she pointed out um, that, of course, they are the largest racial minority in the city, and it's worth understanding how diverse um, their immigration experiences are um, to our city. Um, I was perusing the library um, events. There's events throughout the month. Um, and uh, just encourage people to check that out. Um, I also wanted to mention on a more somber note, um, you know, I think many of us have heard that there was a um, pioneer high school student who uh, recently uh, died, drowned after jumping into the Huron River from um, the bridge over at Bandemere Park. Um, this is something that our young people unfortunately do on a regular basis. Um, I have young kids, I know that they, I know they do this. And um, I think it's really important that we communicate to the population that how dangerous this is. So I really encourage parents to talk to their kids about this. Um, I also have uh, asked our city administrator and our police chief if there's anything we can do to uh, put up a barrier to prevent jumping. It's not our property, uh, this particular bridge, um, but I am hopeful that we can, um, thank you, that we can work towards a longer term solution on this. Council Member Grand. Thank you. Um, I also want to just um, building on that, that um, there is a GoFundMe that was set up to support the family of Alex Walker. Um, both of my children have, have had the pleasure of attending school with, with two of the Walker siblings, including Alex, and um, just a lot of, um, you know, to his mom, Kim, just know that you're in our thoughts. Um, so if you want to support them, there there is a way to do so. Um, I also um, want to just take a minute to thank um, really two giants of our of our parks system and um, and Greenbelt system. We um, have seen that both the Parks Advisory Commission and the Greenbelt Advisory Commission um, have term limits, and their most recent chairs, Paige Morrison and Jennifer Fike, have. Um, are being termed out. So I just want to take a minute to thank them for their um, just tremendous service to our community. Um, if you've enjoyed one of our parks, um, chances are Paige Morrison had a little something or a lot something to do with it. Um, and you know, under under Chair Fike's leadership, there were thousands of acres of land preserved in our community, um, and um, and really did strengthen the plan for the green belt. So um, thank you to both of them for their service and um, know that they will continue to be involved in these kinds of issues in our community. Further communication from council? Councilmember Griswold. Uh, yes, on April 8th, we received a letter, a cease and desist the unjustified defamation of Mr. Crawford. And I just like to request that um, council go into closed session and have an opportunity to discuss our response to that letter so that it, um, we can talk about it. 
Uh, now, a couple of other issues, and I, I truly feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience here. I can't believe what we're doing. Glen Street is totally closed between Catherine and Huron, and there are two big pieces of equipment there. Now, what that means is that traffic is backed up east of the hospital for many, many blocks, probably half a mile or more, going into the ER and the hospital. I, I don't understand why that's happened. And even more idiotic and criminal is the fact that the traffic control order that Councilmember Nelson mentioned is actually directing pedestrians into Main Street between Madison and Mosley. When is it ever okay to direct pedestrians into the roadway? Even if it's painted, even if it's called a bike lane, this is not acceptable. And so I appeal to our city administrator to please look at this. And I'll tell you that New York City, when there's construction, there are enclosures built over sidewalks so that the pedestrians can continue to use the sidewalk. We discussed that here. We didn't have the votes to pass that policy. But I just won't be able to live with myself if we lose a community member after directing them to walk in Main Street. Thank you. Further communication from council? I'd like to request the confirmation of the following appointments that were presented to your consider for your consideration at the May 5th regular session meeting. To the Airport Advisory Committee, Melanie McNicholas. To the Ann Arbor Area Transportation Authority, Kathleen Mozak. To the Ann Arbor Public Art Commission, Peggy Weir-Leonard, Kevin Cox. To the Building Board of Appeals, Paul Darling. To the Center of the City Commons, Alan Haber. Adam Zemke, Alice Ralph, Camila Lizudia. Frank Wilhelm, Jeffrey Henry, Jennifer Cornell, Rita Mitchell. To the City Planning Commission, Wan Wu Lee, Sarah Hammerschmidt, Ellie Abrams. To the Commission on Disability Issues, Alex Gossage, Kathleen Mozek, Larry Keller, Keeler. To the Design Review Board, Gary Cooper. To the Downtown Area Citizens Advisory Council, Donald Duquette, John Chamberlain, Joan French. To the Downtown Development Authority, Tyler Kinley. To the, to the Elizabeth Dean Fund Committee, R. Donald Wartman, Elizabeth Collins. To the Energy Commission, Colleen Coven Garcia. To the Historic District Commission, David Roshlin and Catherine Fortner. To the Housing Board of Appeals, Tim Dur Durham, Jerry Schulte. To the Housing Commission, Dina Boer. To the Human Rights Commission, Linda Winkler, Keita Cowan, Aidan Sova. To the Huron River Watershed Council, Janice Bobrin. The Leslie Science and Nature Center Board of Directors, Paige Morrison. To the Parks Advisory Commission, Ruth Kraut. To the Public Market Advisory Commission, Pete, Peter Wolf. To the Renters Commission, Liam Wolf, Lucy Peterson, Kristen Cato. To the Transportation Commission, Brett Hatamaki. Megan Broven. To the Zoning Board of Appeals, Tom Grant, Chris, Chris Fraley. To the Economic Development Corporation, Milton Dehoney Jr. May I have a motion, please? Moved by Councilmember Ramlawi, seconded by Councilmember Radina. Discussion? 
Councilmember Romlawi. Uh, thank you. Um, I appreciate you putting forward these names. Um, most of this power and privilege is given to the mayor's office with council uh, approval. Um, <clears throat> I just want to thank the volunteers of our community who serve on these boards and commissions and give, give up time from their family and friends and other commitments and opportunities to serve their community and uh, again provide us with uh, the efforts and time um, to do much of the work that this body here then takes and considers. Thank you. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? Uh, it is approved. Uh, and in, uh, uh, in closing, I guess I would like to just touch upon some of the, uh, some of the heartbreak that's been discussed here uh, at, uh, at the table and at the speaker's forum uh, today. Of course, uh, locally, the, the death of the teen uh, is uh, uh, an un uh, off the bridge is an unspeakable tragedy. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we uh, I think as a, as a community, uh, mourn uh, and, and support the family uh, and, you know, look to do what we can uh, to uh, prevent this from happening again and to communicate to uh, our young people uh, the, the need for, uh, for them to, uh, to, 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 to stay safe uh, and to do what we can to support them in doing so. Uh, growing up is hard um, and we, we want, them to, uh, want them to succeed and thrive. Further, uh, the, uh, the, the unspeakable tragedy in, in Buffalo um, it is, of course, uh, the, uh, the tragic confluence, uh, the you know, infuriating confluence of uh, a legacy and a present day expression of white supremacy with uh, a culture that uh, is um, uh, shockingly permissive of, of guns. Uh, these two uh, these two together uh, create a toxic environment and you know, we need to do what we can. We need to do, uh, we need to take steps as a community and a society to, uh, to fight both because uh, you know, so many people's survival depend upon it. Uh, we have a motion please to approve the consent agenda, move by. Councilmember Lowey, second by Councilmember Briggs. Discussion of the consent agenda. Councilmember Griswold. I'd like to remove CA6. CA6. Further discussion of the consent agenda. Thank you. Councilmember Hayner. Thank you. I'd like CA11 removed for discussion, please. Further discussion of the consent agenda. All in favor of the consent agenda, as of, uh, with the exception of CA6, C11, please say aye. Aye. Opposed? The consent agenda, with the exception of CA6 and C11, is approved with uh, 10 council members present, all voting the affirmative, thus satisfying the eight vote requirement. With respect to CA7, CA8, and CA10. Uh, CA6, resolution to approve an agreement with the Downtown Development Authority for the South, Street, South State Street Reconstruction Project. Moved by Councilmember Griswold, seconded by Councilmember Grand. Discussion, please, of CA6. Councilmember Griswold. 
Yes, uh, CA6 and the South State Street reconstruction project includes removing the curbs. So first we're sending pedestrians into the street and then we're removing the curb, so I guess we don't have any differentiation between the street and the curb. And I'd like to say that even at Disney World, we have curbs. The idea of removing the curb makes no sense to me, and it highlights a couple of issues that I have brought to the table over and over again. One is we have no operations management in the transportation area. We have no feedback. We call projects Vision Zero, but Vision Zero requires data-driven decisions. We don't collect any data, and that way we can just call it a Vision Zero project. We can't continue to go on. It seems like the more money we spend, the more risk we create for some of our pedestrians and cyclists. Uh, in terms of feedback, we have pedestrians who are only pushing the RRFB 50% of the time based on what I've seen. We have trucks and buses parking over the crosswalk, especially on State Street. We have huge semi-trucks moving people in and out of our tall buildings parked in, on Division Street, either in the bike lane or on one of the two lanes that are left, which is causing congestion. We really need to know what these changes are doing to pedestrian and cycling safety. And we should have our pedestrian crash data for 2021 from the state in the next few weeks. Councilmember Briggs. Thanks. Um, so this project came before the Transportation Commission, um, and there was a um, lovely presentation uh, by Smith Group, I believe, that I'm happy to share with anybody on council or anybody in the community that explains a little bit more about this project and the project goals. Um, as we heard from the State Street Area Association, there is um, broad support from the, um, the association for this project. Um, and this is um, actually a very pedestrian-friendly um, improvement that we're making to the area. Um, and also um, helpful in terms of reclaiming, allowing for um, event space and more flexible use of this area so that um, whether it's for events or for um, restaurants, um, it, it is actually beneficial to um, the State Street area, um, both business community and the pedestrian environment. Um, one part of making our community safer for bikers and walkers is actually reclaiming our streets a little bit and, and recognizing that um, they have multiple users. Um, that involves slowing traffic uh, so that this works. Um, but um, I'm excited to see these, these changes move forward. I think it's gonna be exciting. Um, development for our community. It's happening in communities all across the country. So Annabur's not the first to do this. We have lots of other models. Um, and um, I think it's a little change for us, but um, I'm excited to, to see it implemented here. Councilmember Hayner. Oh, thanks, Mr. Mayor. So I was glad to see this pulled off because I do have some comments on it. I My, my concerns are, one, the, the notion of a curbless street is and it's kind of hard to put your head around a little bit, especially when you think about stormwater management. And if you, anybody was in that storm or that sudden squall rainstorm this weekend, um, you know, you saw 
uh, storm sewers that were unable to keep up with the impermeable surface runoff. Um, I saw water up over curbs to the to the crown of of uh, four lane roads like Jackson. And uh, so I'm not exactly sure how curbless streets are going to manage the stormwater in that area. Um, I also, I just can't, I personally can't embrace this, this notion that when, when we, like, we had the same thing. So we basically said that fifth, the improvements on 5th Street near Carytown were um, kind of essential to reactivate that area and create more meaningful pedestrian um, space and so on and it's it's a little bit of a different space down there of course but of course that had curbs and the metric that we used to judge the success of that was how many cars stop for pedestrians well if that's your only metric um, you know that's all well and good but of course cars are going to stop when you put a pedestrian plaza right on top of a major thoroughfare and and state street is is a street um and you know whether it succeeds or fails will will remain to be seen i know that you know, as just as we speak as a body, um, you know, State Street Area Associations, the various merchant associations speak as a body, but not everyone loves the idea of curbless streets down there. And I, uh, I'm just not going to support this. I'll put my name to this. Councilmember Omari. Thank you. I was wondering if staff was here to answer some questions on uh, the cost of this project. I apologize for not getting this question in sooner, but perhaps someone can answer it on the fly i believe mr this Stig is uh, nick hutchinson city engineer um the uh um i believe this is uh i believe this is in the uh, memo um i'm going to turn this over to brian slazuski our project manager for this project he probably has that data at hand thank you nick thank you thank you nick the um so, the project is is being funded from the city perspective. Uh, there's a water main project that's about a million and a half dollars uh, for the water main replacement project. Um, there is the road reconstruction being paid out of the uh, street bridge and sidewalk millage and also the DDA is sharing in the cost of the road reconstruction. Um, with, with the new design, we, we were talking earlier about the curbless design. Um, the stormwater funds are kicking in to the tune of almost a million dollars because in making this a complete reconstruction with the curbless design, as opposed to a simple resurfacing, we were able to look at it as a, uh, a complete street project. And the soils there are excellent for infiltration. So from Washington to East William, we, we are constructing a stormwater infiltration system. And then the um, University of Michigan is contributing funding on the order of uh, $560,000 um, related to the uh, um, road improvements and also the uh, water main improvements. So there are, you know, five major funding sources, if you will, that are going into the total project. Thank you for going into that. I had a question uh, more to do with the escalating costs that we're experiencing. And this project was gonna happen before the pandemic and then because of, of funding concerns, it was pulled. 
and now we're doing it. And I was wondering if we have any idea of how much more this is going to cost now than it would have cost in 2020. Um, I, I don't believe we really have that information, certainly at our fingertips right here. Um, this this project has been has been scheduled and adjusted timing wise, um, you know, in and out for a while. Um, and uh, um, I mean, we only had a planning level cost estimate to start with before. Um, we didn't have a full engineer's estimate at that time, so it's kind of comparing apples to oranges. Um, so, so we no, we can't answer that really um, here. Okay. Well, thanks for for trying. Further discussion. Uh, for my part, I'm incredibly excited about this project moving forward. I think we hear time and time again that uh, we want a, uh, a downtown that is uh, is safe and, and designed indeed for all users. Uh, one thing that I'm particularly pleased with with respect to this project is that it is uh, designed and appropriate uh, for, uh, for folks uh, 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 from, with our, from our disability community, uh, for seniors to get around, for cyclists, for pedestrians, for drivers too. Um, all users are, uh, are taken into account when we decided to uh, reconstruct and redesign this part of uh, this portion of State Street. Uh, it's my hope going forward that, uh, that we uh, gain a bit of uh, fluency and comfort with this style of design, with this level of uh, of intentionality and that we will deploy it further in other locations as uh, as we are able to uh, to plan and execute redesigns. Councilmember Ramlawi. Thank you. Uh, I have a question on the this, the um, scheduling. This is going to happen over two two years. Can you briefly explain to us the impacts that it will have? Um, and how we're, and what we're doing to minimize those impacts on businesses and other stakeholders in the area. What will be done in year one? What will be done in year two? If you can um, bring us up to speed, if possible. The year one construction will. It's anticipated to start June first and go through Labor Day um, to be there when the students are not uh, there en masse, um, be finished before they return. And the focus for 2022 will be from the area south of East William to Liberty Street. And then in 2023, we will be starting as early as possible in the year, you know, after the frost thaws are off, say in, in April. And we'll be working from the Liberty intersection north to Washington with the complete reconstruct. And then we will be resurfacing from Washington to Huron. And that's all anticipated to be complete before Labor Day in 2023. So the focus is to work primarily in the summers and ramp up construction before the students return in the fall for both construction seasons. Councilmember Hainer. Yeah, thanks. I, I don't know if this is, uh, this might be a question you can answer here. So we, we see a lot of this where, um, you know, we redo a street and then a giant building goes in right next door to it and all the heavy equipment destroys the just rebuilt street. Is this gonna, is this project coordinating in any way with the 616 Washington project 
with the large building that's going up on Washington and State? Are we going to avoid resurfacing prior to the, their heavy equipment in and out for that site? Because I know it just destroys our roads. And I mean, I've even had people beg me to bring a development tax on that when all this heavy equipment, we, that we have to recognize that these... I mean, I don't want to go into the all of it, but we, we know that the equivalent single axle load is a legitimate thing in the engineering world, you know? And heavy equipment destroys our streets. And so is this coordinated with those projects downtown, these big construction projects to when they're done, it sounds like we're kind of doing it at the same time as they are, they are going to be in there. And so I just, I don't want to resurface again in a year after they've destroyed it with their building. I guess that's a comment and a question. <laughs> um, I, I believe this. I, I believe when you say that we're going to be working on them somewhat simultaneously, I, I think that is the case. Um, so I, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of uh, um, additional construction traffic for that project after um, after our project is done. Um, I will say that we try very much to be able to coordinate our projects so that things like that don't happen, but we don't have control over development schedules. So it's uh, it, it's a very much a moving target. <laughs> we, we try to avoid it as much as we possibly can in general. Further discussion? Roll call vote, please, starting with? Roll call starts with Councilmember Griswold. Roll call, please, starting with Councilmember Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? No. Councilmember Song, absent. Councilmember Grand? Yes. Councilmember Rodina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? No. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. CA 11 resolution to appropriate American Rescue Plan funding. In the amount of $24,182,630. Moved by Councilmember Hayner, seconded by Councilmember Dish. Discussion, please, of CA 11. Councilmember Hayner. Thanks, Mr. Mayor. So I found the whole ARPA funding evaluation process to be deeply flawed. Uh, so I'm not going to support this appropriation for that reason. Um, in fact, I believe if these funds are appropriated, that if someone else doesn't, I will be filing a complaint with the U.S. Treasury Department because I believe this, we are grossly misallocating these funds and the, the allocation of these funds is inconsistent with the program rules. And I also believe the spirit of the program. And uh, to, to further that, the notion that we had a robust public engagement process when we barely obtained 2% residential input um, doesn't belong in this resolution. I, I've been approached by dozens of people in the last couple months as this has been in and out of the papers who had no idea where or how to uh, share their opinions and their priorities for this funding. Indeed, the prioritization from the 2% of the residents that we did get did not match with what we are doing with the money. And so for those reasons and, and more, I won't support this. Councilmember Ramlawi. Thank you. Um, I don't think this is perfect. Um, I do think it has some issues to it. I have a question for our city administrator, and and uh, and that is that these these funds and these this expenditures 
will be audited by the federal government, I imagine, correct? And um, if, if it's contested that we did not follow the, the guidelines that prescribe how this money should be spent, will the city of Ann Arbor itself be responsible for the money that the federal government considers inappropriate use of spending? I'll answer your question in reverse order. Um, the city is always responsible for any federal money that it gets if it is deemed to be misappropriated. So whether it's ARPA or any other kind of funding that comes directly from the feds, in this case, uh, we have thoroughly reviewed the regs, looked at what is permissible. It was looked at by multiple members of both our uh, finance department. Um, we are setting up fund accounts for each of the allocations that were made. Uh, the funds will be audited at the appropriate time, which is a standard practice. We do have reporting requirements to submit along the way as to how we are spending the money. And we are prepared to be fully compliant with all of the rules that we've been given. Thank you. I, with that, um, I feel comfortable in supporting this. Thank you. For the discussion. Roll call up, please, starting with Councilmember Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song? Absent. Councilmember Grand? Yes. Councilmember Rodina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? No. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. A1, the regular session meeting minutes of May 5, 2022. May I have a motion, please, to approve these minutes. Moved by Councilor Dish, second by Councilor Grand. Discussion, please, of A1. All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. B1, an ordinance to amend section 6, pardon me, section 263 of chapter 29, water rates of title 2 of the Code of the City of Ann Arbor. Moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Grand. Discussion, please, of B2. Councilmember Hayner. Thanks, Mr. Mayor. As usual, I won't support an increase in our water rates. And I thought it was interesting that I saw that um, we were pitching the notion of reaching out and trying to get federal dollars. And uh, three large projects were cited. Um, and one of them was the to try and get 100 million sum for the redo of our water plant. Now, one of the reasons we've been telling everybody we got to raise our water rates is to set aside funding for the redo of the water plant. Mm -hmm. So. Um, if we're pursuing federal funding for that, I, it's just yet another reason to not support an increase in our water rates. So I will be voting no. Further discussion, Councilmember Ramlawi. Thank you. I don't think it'll be a surprise that I haven't been a, a huge fan of the, the four-tier rate structure and the um, peaking that single-family homes are charged. Uh, I find the, the, flaw, the logic flawed. And, uh, and I feel that there is uh, a burden being shifted and placed on single family homes. I believe that um, the multifamily um, classification um, is enjoying the benefits that those in single family homes are paying for. 
Uh, hopefully one day we can go back and rectify it, but it won't be this year or next year. It'll be at least 2024 before there is any type of change on this table to bring forward a, a resolution or to change this rate structure. I will support this because I know the need is there to address our infrastructure problems you know, with escalating costs, with inflation and contractor capacity, those problems are only gonna get worse. So I will support this so future increases are not as drastic as they would be otherwise. Thank you. Further discussion? Uh, I'm going to uh, su support this increase as well. It is proper and prudent that we, uh, that we plan for the future and that we do so by, uh, by having uh, water rates uh, that, uh, that meet our needs. Further, uh, I'll also observe that uh, we are legally required to match water rates uh, with the cost of providing the service. Uh, the cost of providing, and what that leads us to is uh, after our, uh, our rate study uh, and the cost of providing the service study back in 2017, I believe it was, uh, what that study uh, revealed is, and what uh, makes a great deal of sense is that it costs a lot more to distribute water uh, to 100 separate homes than it does to one single uh, home with 100 units in it. Um, that is the basic rationale for, and that is because it is a, a lot more expensive to create 100 to have 100 pipes running to 100 houses than it is one big pipe running to one big house, that being an apartment building. Um, we don't pay for the water, we pay for the distribution. Um, and that accounts for the differentiation between multifamily unit rates and single family unit rates. Uh, the current rate structure uh, matches cost of providing the service with the service. Uh, that is our legal obligation, and uh, while this is not the exclusive way to meet that obligation, it does it uh, properly and in a way that, um, uh, like I said, reflects the cost of providing the service. Further discussion? Councilmember Mlowey. We'll go round and round on this, uh, Mayor, respectfully. When those studies were conducted, and I had a chance to speak with staff on this issue, there are many different ways we can be charging for water. If what you say is true, and most of it is, at least some, most of what I can agree with, is that we should be charging a higher rate for our fixed costs. And if those pipes and distribution network cost so much, it should be put in as the base customer charge. Um, we are charging a variable rate with the peaking system. It's a variable rate. So <laughs> once uh, I have support, I, I will be revisiting this, that we should be hiring the fixed cost that are associated with single family homes and not the variable costs that are associated with peaking and usage. So many different communities around the country do it differently. We've chosen to do it this way, but it's not the only way. Thank you. Further discussion? 
Councilor Hainer. Yeah, I'll keep it brief, Mr. Mayor, but I want I I also disagree with some of the statements you just made and if you take a new development like say Trinitas in my neck of the woods as an example, they paid for that water infrastructure. We pay for it going forward, but they pay for that and they pay mightily to cut into our mains on Pontiac Trail there. And uh, perhaps they didn't pay enough, you know. But um uh, that initial cost of that infrastructure is often borne by the builder, not the city. And our responsibility for that infrastructure, uh, barring the lead and copper rules that were now being enforced, um, ended with the curb stops. And the homeowner's responsibility is from the curb stop to the home. So I, I just, my experience in the field just makes me think that we're not quite doing this in an accurate way, which is yet another reason I don't support it. And some other time, perhaps we could have a debate about all of this, but it won't be tonight. Further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Starting with Councilmember Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song? Absent. Councilmember Graham? Yes. Councilmember Radina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Romlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? No. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. B2, an ordinance to amend section 269 of chapter 29, stormwater rates of title two of the Code of the City of Ann Arbor, moved by Councilmember Redina, second by Councilmember Iyer. Discussion, please, of B2. Councilmember Romlawi. Thank you. Uh, I'll be supporting this here tonight. Um, I, I am concerned as to um, how we're managing our storm water going forward. Uh, this year in Ward 5, I've received more complaints than I've received in the previous three years when it comes to storm water management or the lack thereof. Uh, uh, the most common response I get to tell my constituents is to uh, petition for a special assessment district to uh, install the infrastructure to help manage the increasing frequency of heavy downpours. Um, I don't believe that's the best answer to give many folks. I believe that we should be exploring other ways, and I hope we are already. I know staff has, has promised to return to myself and Councilmember Briggs regarding some policy issues that we might be able to address going forward. As we know, climate change is real. It's happening. Uh, we have prolonged periods of, of drought, followed by intense periods of heavy rain. And we have a healthy uh, stormwater balance. We collect millions of dollars a year. And I believe it's time for us to address our stormwater management in our neighborhoods that are seeing increased development, less uh, uh, or more impervious surfaces uh, with, again, increased rainfall. I have seen pictures of residents that are just practically swimming in water. And all we can tell them is, Maybe you can apply for a special assessment district, and if you get the support of your neighbors and you can afford to do it, this might address your problem. Um, I don't think that's I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's the best answer. I believe again we need to be looking at stormwater uh, funds to 
address this growing issue that's only going to get worse. We need to do we need to do better about addressing flooding in our neighborhoods and our neighbors. Thank you. Councilmember Briggs. Yeah, um, just to speak a little bit. Um, also on the same topic, um, thanks to public services for being responsive to um, our concerns in the ward. Obviously, um, we have the more severe storms that we're facing. The Fifth Ward really is experiencing um, pretty severe flooding in some of the neighborhoods, largely because many of the neighborhoods that were built at the time um, did not have a requirement. Um, our regulations at the time they were built um, didn't require um, this the same sort of stormwater management as would be required today. Um, and the burden for these neighbors is very high in terms of addressing, um, getting the buy-in to, um, to address it today. So I appreciate the staff is looking at this, evaluating our policies, um, looking, about, looking to see if there are other paths forward that solve this, um, this longstanding issue because what we're facing is that some neighborhoods are facing the same problem decades after decades. Um, and obviously the solutions that we're presenting today are not. Um, adequately um, solving for the flooding, which we know is just going to get worse. So thanks for staff for working on this and look forward to, to hearing what they come up with. Councilmember Griswold. I'll be supporting this increase, but I want to remind the council members and our new city administrator that our A20 plan was amended to include not just monitoring stormwater, but actually managing stormwater. And it's not appropriate at the council level to determine staffing levels, but given that this is a focus, given that many of our neighborhoods pre-1980s do not have stormwater management systems and we're getting uh, more and more frequent heavy rains, I hope that we look at stormwater management and we're as proactive as we possibly can either from these funds or also from our sustainability funds. Thank you. Further discussion? Councilmember, I'm sorry, Councilmember Mlawi. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate hearing support from this body to look into this further. Um, I will just say that in many of these cases, these are lower income homes. These are not the most affluent neighborhoods in our community that are experiencing this. I think that should be somewhat alarming and give this a little bit more attention because the fo folks that are experiencing this unfortunately are the least uh, who are the least to afford uh, the damage to their property and their belongings and etc. I will uh, ask perhaps offline but since we're on this discussion and, and we're here if uh, our city administrator could speak to this will this require uh, at some point I will I know it will um, but whether um, before it even gets to a, a formal policy change uh, whether we are looking into this actively currently without a council resolution or should a council resolution come forward to, to address this before we even change our current policy. I think given the nature of, of what we're talking about, a council resolution would have clarity so that staff knows exactly what you're wanting us to do. 
Thank you. Further discussion? Roll call vote, please, starting with Councilmember Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song? Absent. Councilmember Grand? Yes. Councilmember Rodino? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Omlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? No. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. DC1, resolution to appoint Leuna Oriel and Stephen Brown to the Environmental Commission, moved by Councilmember Griswold, second by Councilmember Dish. Discussion, please, of DC1. All in favor? Opposed? It's approved. DC2, resolution to appoint Micah Ship, Bonnie Billups, and Randy Milgram to the Independent Community Police Oversight Commission, moved by uh, Councilmember uh, Ramlawi, second by Councilmember Nelson. Discussion, please, of DC2. Councilman Ramai. Thank you. Um, just wanted to express gratitude for these three commissioners who've been serving on ICPOC as the liaison to ICPOC. I can say that uh, these three members contribute and contribute mightily. Uh, one has been there since the inception of the commission and has um, quite a, a vast experience by now. On, on the ins and outs of the commission and how to investigate complaints, has done a lot of training. Uh, ICPOC is a very un, uh, different commission, I should say. It's a, just a much different commission than some of our others, whereas um, it takes uh, many months, if not years, for a commissioner to be able to learn everything uh, as to uh, the laws and investigations and training so that they can become even more valuable to the to the work that the commission does. So maintaining and retaining our commissioners on this commission should be our number one priority. It is for me. Uh, I don't like to see high turnover on this commission. And uh, these three here are current members, and I hope they can last as long as they can because the valuable information and experience they have is not easily replicated. So I hope they get support here. I'm pretty sure they will. And uh, again, thanks for their service, their time, and their commitment to um, social justice. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? It is approved with 10 council members present, all voting the affirmative, thus satisfying the seven vote requirement. Resolution to appoint Roseanne Bloomer and Deaver Armstrong to the Greenbelt Advisory Commission, moved by Council Member Grand, seconded by Council Member Dish. Discussion, please, of DC3. All in favor? Opposed? It's approved. DC4, resolution to appoint Travis Redina and Elizabeth Nelson to the Renters Commission, moved by Council Member Briggs, seconded by Council Member Mlawi. Discussion, please, of DC4. All in favor? Opposed? It's approved. DC5, resolution to appoint non-registered electors to boards and commissions. Moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Iyer. Discussion, please, of DC5. All in favor? Opposed? It's approved with 10 council members present, all voting the affirmative, thus satisfying the seven-vote requirement. DC6, resolution to begin discussions with the University of Michigan of net zero affordable sustainable workforce housing moved by councilmember griswold seconded by councilmember hayner discussion please of dc6 councilmember griswold first i'd note 
like to note that there were co-sponsors to this resolution, although they're not listed on our copy here. Um, there's been a lot of controversy regarding this. Uh, at the same time, there's been tremendous uh, support for this resolution. Also, the headline in MLive today uh, talks about a program that the governor is uh, focused on. Nearly 50% of Michigan renters are paying too much. The state wants to fix that. So I won't outline all of the 37 goals in the governor's program, but we've got to focus at the state level as well as at the community level. Um, one of the ways that we can accomplish this is by the University of Michigan offering 99-year leases on some of their property, preferably on transit corridors where the infrastructure already exists, to private developers who could then build workforce housing. There are two examples of that on North Campus right now. One is the co-op that's on North Campus, and the other one is a private dorm that was built on North Campus near the Recreation Center. Um, I'm willing to entertain questions about this, if there are any. Um, I do want to state that this provides the benefit to the University of Michigan of no upfront costs whatsoever. The university would get additional housing for its employees if they want to maintain their world-class status. It's important that they attract and retain world-class talent, and that requires housing. The city would get property taxes on the building, but not on the land because that's held by the University of Michigan. The community would get more housing, which would take some of the stress off our local housing market. Uh, I'd like to thank the members of the Environmental Commission and the Energy Commission who passed this unanimously, as well as Sally Hart-Peterson, who uh, met with John Mursky and me to go over the proposal, uh, as well as Peter Allen and many other development experts in this community who, who took time to look at this concept and then our legal team who spent considerable time looking at the details to make sure it was uh, legally appropriate as a resolution. Councilmember Hanner. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Mayor. So I'm going to support this, and I asked to be a co-sponsor. Um, we should always be having conversations with the University of Michigan about what's happening in our community because they're really, they're really at the heart of this community, of course. Um, of the, uh, it, you know, it's estimated that of the 7,800 odd residents we've added in this, the city proper in the last decade, about 5,000 of those are University of Michigan students directly, and I would imagine a good deal of the other <laughs> 2,800 some are related to uh, University of Michigan expansion, Michigan medicine, and so on. So. It, it's only right that um, U of M look at ways in which they can uh, collaborate and cooperate with the city and, and private development to take some responsibility for the uh, population growth that they bring to our community and the pressure that they put on our housing market. Um, 
so yeah this is this is something we should always be doing and so it's easy to support this one further discussion councilmember Arloi thank you um, I would like to ask councilmember Griswold um, if there were any changes in this resolution since the, the first time you introduced it and it was referred to the uh, other committees and commissions could you highlight any differences in the original one uh, versus the one reviewing here tonight? Um, yes, there were significant changes made by the Energy Commission. It came back to the Environmental Commission. Um, I'd say the significant changes made by the legal staff were in the whereas clauses. There were many whereas clauses that had footnotes and data associated with them. And at the request of the legal department, those were taken out and put in a supporting document. Thank you. Further discussion? Uh, Councilmember Ramal, you still have the floor? Um, as I said in, the, in earlier discussions when this was first brought forward, um, I supported it. I thought um, it was an obvious conversation that has been neglected for many years. I appreciate the work that you've done and others have done to bring this forward. Uh, it's been unfortunate, but from, for many different reasons, including the pandemic, we have not met with the, with the U of M Board of Regents. Um, still waiting for, for my opportunity. Um, haven't, hasn't happened yet. Um, I hope that this can be um, supported here tonight and these discussions can start occurring. Uh, we, we've done many things and we haven't done this, which um, to me is a, a low-hanging low fruit. I'd like to be add, added as a co-sponsor. I, I believe this part of our uh, housing stock has been uh, overlooked. It's the missing middle. We're doing a lot for the, the much lower incomes and developers can build for the folks where money doesn't matter. But folks, the rank and file are the folks that I think by and large have been ignored uh, by many different levels of government. So I look forward uh, to having discussions and moving the needle on this issue. Thank you. Councilor Griswold. Yeah, we've been talking about this for so long, I, I overlooked a couple of other important points. Um, some of the edits that were made, um, the reason was to make it very clear that this plan was consistent with our sustainability plan, the University of Michigan sustainability plan, that it clearly stated that equity uh, was a goal. One example is the University of Michigan has custodians who are driving in from Wayne County. They have nurses driving in from Oakland County. These are people that I personally know. Uh, not all of them would choose to live in this housing, but at least they deserve the option. Uh, another important point right now is that the University of Michigan is uh, going to start engaging in a comprehensive land use plan just like the city of Ann Arbor. So the timing seems to be perfect. There will be a new uh, president of the university, so it would be good to have this plan in place 
prior to the hiring of that president. And lastly, many of the uh, student sustainability groups offered to support this. Uh, I didn't think it was necessary to mobilize any of the student groups at this time, but I think it is as we develop the plans because we definitely want input from the students. And when I say develop, it wouldn't be the city of Ann Arbor, it would be the university and the, uh, the private developers, but obviously with stakeholder input. Uh, Councilmember Iyer. Thank you. Um, I think we heard what, uh, we, we heard feedback from two commissions that this was referred to, but I think it was referred to four, and I'm wondering, actually five. I'm wondering if Councilmember Griswold could, or any, actually perhaps Councilmember Dish and Councilmember Briggs could speak to what the Planning Commission and Transportation Commission thought of this. Mr. Mayor. Yeah, uh, I, I guess is I, that okay? it's, yeah, a little, it, it's a little unusual, but I don't know. Does anyone, it's within your time, so okay. we'll, we'll treat them yeah, as Yeah, I'll say very quickly questions. that uh, the Planning Commission um, didn't think that this would be likely to succeed. Um, and I'm sorry, didn't think that this would be likely to succeed. And so we did not uh, engage in a concerted effort to revise the resolution. And we understand that the University of Michigan is interested in finding whatever synergies there may be in our comprehensive planning process. And we look forward to working with them on that. And should this come up, we would certainly pursue it. Councilor Briggs, as in, yeah, as answering question as staff say. <laughs> yes, and from Transportation Commission's perspective, um, there wasn't uh, formal edits to the resolution. Um, there were general sentiments that there was support for uh, more housing uh, near where folks worked so that um, from a transportation perspective, that is preferable. But um, in terms of seeing the Transportation Commission's role explicitly within this resolution, um, it, there was relatively little time spent on the on the resolution itself. Um, from the Energy Commission perspective, um, there was a lot of, fair amount of time, and um, Chair Mursky spent a, a lot of time um, providing edits on this. We talked about it as a commission. Um, I don't believe that we actually formally um, endorsed the the resolution. Um, I may be missing something, but uh, but there was certainly a lot of effort spent to try to um, improve the make some edits and, and thoughtful comments towards the, the resolution itself. All right, you're still on the floor. Okay. Um, well, I'll come, I'll come back around the second time. Council Member Rodina. Thank you. Uh, briefly, I, I think I'm, I'm going to support this tonight. Um, I, I, I think that dialogue with the university is always helpful. I think, you know, continuing to move conversations around housing in our community forward is helpful. I, I do share concerns, I think, maybe of the Planning Commission that, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that the university is uh, gonna quickly take us up on, on our offer to, to build workforce housing um, in the conversations that I've been having. 
uh, they're very focused right now on um, increasing uh, the density of their student housing on North Campus, uh, which also obviously has an impact on, on proliferation of students out into neighborhoods and, and things like that throughout the community. Um, but you know, recognizing that the city can't dictate to the university to do this, I think ongoing dialogue in this in this realm is is fine. So um, I will support it and remain cautiously optimistic that the university will continue to build uh, more dense housing in areas where we need it. Councilmember Iyer. Thank you. Um, I think you know it's interesting. We have this refrain in our community among many people who are frustrated that the university um, acquires and in, is in p possession of so much land that is removed from our tax rolls. Um, and, you know, yet we provide services to the university. Um, of course, you know, the other side of that is that the university provides a great benefit to the, to the city as well. So, um, but I, I think that there certainly is a recognition in the city that the more that is developed on university property that could be developed on city property or on, you know, non-university property, um, you know, the, the worse it is for our financial situation in the city. So I am not of the mind that um, that we should be pushing the university to develop, you know, more housing on, you know, I mean, if they want to, that's great, but I would rather see us spend our time and energy adopting our president's, President Biden's plans to, you know, his, his what he's encouraging cities like us and all around the country to do, which is to relax our zoning rules, uh, to allow more housing to be built throughout the city um, in places that make sense for, uh, for people who work here, for people who go to school here. Um, that's where I'd like to see us focusing our efforts, um, not spinning our wheels trying to get, to the, get the university to do things that, that we know they're, they're probably not going to do. Um, and um, and things which have a really a detrimental financial impact on on the city itself. Councilmember Nelson. Thank you. Um, I'm happy to support this resolution. Um, this is at least the second time that I have seen a resolution come to this table, simply asking for a conversation with the university, and it was met with profound skepticism to the point of opposition, which I have always found puzzling. And I, I often wonder if it's because I have less of a connection to the university than most, um, not even a particularly sentimental connection because I didn't do my undergrad work there. Um, at, at any rate, I guess I, I, I would like to raise the point that given the fact that this conversation is about land that is already held by the university, and this is land that is highly unlikely to ever fall into private hands to generate tax base for the city. Um, this resolution is not um, a detriment to the city. It's not going to be damaging to our tax base. It is not going to take away potential tax base because the last time I checked, the university is acquiring property, not shedding it off and selling it. Um, so I do want to thank Councilmember Griswold for raising this topic. and. Um, to the extent that this was 
refer to, I think, one, two, three, four, five commissions of unelected volunteers, um, and a couple of them didn't have substantive discussion about it. I am really pleased to see it come back to this table um, for discussion among this body. So I'm happy to support it. Thank you. Councilmember Hayner. Well, that was well said. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. That was well said, uh, Councilwoman Nelson. Um, the, the notion that we would be reticent to ask an organization that combined, whose combined campuses, spending across the combined campuses, including the me, uh, medical campus, is going to exceed $10 billion this year. It dwarfs our half a billion dollar budget we're about to discuss. There's no reason to not to be having these conversations. Um, they, their, their endowment income it almost exceeds what our budget was last year. <laughs> Just the income they made last year from their endowment is $440 million. Now, I know that that's restricted spending, but they got, uh, the University of Michigan has uh, more money than most of us will understand in our lifetimes. And they could, they could drop 10 million on building housing that would relieve the pressure on our housing system without blinking an eye. And some folks in our community would demand that they do so, and others would say, let's have this conversation and apparently some would say, let's not have this conversation, which is baffling. So let, let's, let's please have this conversation. And, and thank you for bringing this and taking it back to the committees and bringing it back again properly. Councilmember Grant. Thank you. Um, I, you know, I feel fairly mixed on this, this resolution. I think it's, um, you know, a positive to have an opportunity to dialogue about a number of things with the, with the regents and I, um, if the intent of this resolve clause is just to bring back those general conversations as opposed to one that um, is dictated it be about, you know, X or Y, then I, I feel better about supporting that. Um, I do think that the university has been pretty clear that they're not interested in, in building workforce housing. I'm and have been and continue to be in favor of them looking into land lease options, especially along what I hope will be a TC1 corridor. Um, on Plymouth Road, but um, you know the last whereas clause I'm I'm pretty uncomfortable with because I don't think that um, we should be asking them to build housing um, that's connected to employee growth. I do think that there's a real benefit to a lot of that housing coming in the private sector, um, and in as Councilor Ryer said, in really looking at our zoning that enables us to um, have the private sector build to support that um, employee growth. So I think in the end, um, because of, because Councilman Griswold explained the intent behind this, I, I will support it, but I am um, uncomfortable with parts and, and skeptical with parts. Um, but I, if, it, if it leads to any sort of pushing to um, accelerate the development of workforce housing along what I hope will be a um, large and aggressive footprint for TC1 on Plymouth Road, then um, I'm supportive of that. 
further discussion. Uh, Councilor Griswold, you've spoken twice, I'm afraid. Okay. Further discussion? Roll call vote, please, starting with Councilor Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song, absent. Councilmember Graham? Yes. Councilmember Rodina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? No. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Malawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? Yes. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. DC 7 resolution to support the rights of women to access abortion and reproductive health services moved by Councilmember Briggs, seconded by Councilmember Iyer. Discussion, please, of DC 7. Councilmember Briggs. Yeah, um, this resolution is similar to one that was passed by the county um, earlier in May, um, thanks to um, Commissioner Scott for passing that along. Um, and um, as, as we know, uh, you know we're, we're facing um, a really tragic situation. Uh, a situation in our nation where um, we are poised to to lose um, our women's right to abortion, um, and this is the first time in our our country's history where we're we're facing a, a population losing rights um, potentially. So um, I, I find this to be a, a really alarming time period for our country. Um, if this happens, of course, um, our 1931 law that is in effect in Michigan would take effect, which would make it a felony to perform an abortion in Michigan. Um, that is being challenged right now. There's a couple of cases. What this resolution would do is authorize um, our city attorney's office to um, prepare um, an amicus brief um, or submit one. Um, in this case, um, there will be um, many um, who will be hopefully challenging um, our 1931 law. And um, so that's, that's the impact of this resolution. Councilor Dish. Um, I strongly support this resolution and I'm really grateful um, to Councilmember Briggs for bringing it. Um, but I, I want to just um, gently say that I, I've heard this on NPR a couple times too that this would be the first time that a population loses rights that they had and it's not um, because um, post Reconstruction, as we know, um, African-Americans lost their right to vote and participate in civic life. And actually, um, one of the weird and unique and not particularly admirable characteristics of the U.S. democracy is precisely that we do take away rights that we grant to populations. And that is an unusual feature that, that as far as my colleagues who study comparative politics say, is not true of any other uh, Western non-authoritarian regime. Councilmember Rudina. Thank you, Mayor. Um, uh, first, I want to just thank this, the original sponsors of this resolution for bringing this forward um, and ask to be added as a co-sponsor. Um, I am incredibly supportive of this resolution, um, but also just you know want to express my anger and frustration at the the leaked draft that we saw coming from the Supreme Court and what that means, not just for women here in Michigan, um, and women and members of the transgender community and, and others uh, uh, here in Michigan, but throughout the country. Um, I, I often don't get political at this table, but, but in this case, I, I'm going to. Um, we have a lot at stake that is coming up in this next election cycle. 
Uh, we do not currently have a pro-choice majority in Lansing. And as Councilmember Briggs pointed out, if uh, Roe v. Wade were struck down, we would go back to an antiquated uh, 1931 law that strips uh, folks all over Michigan of their rights. Uh, we have to change that. Uh, there are a couple ways we can do it. The, um, there's currently a campaign going on, Reproductive Freedom for All here in Michigan, to uh, add this protection to our Constitution. Um, you can learn more at mireproductivefreedom.org. Um, we also have a number of state representative campaigns that I encourage people to get involved in and support pro-choice candidates running for office. Um, because of redistricting, there is actually an opportunity that after this next election cycle, Northern Ann Arbor could be represented by a viscerally anti-choice Republican legislator, um, and we cannot let that happen. And so I encourage you to all get involved and to make sure you learn more about the candidates who are running. Um, Jennifer Conlin is the candidate that I would support in that race. Thank you. Councilor Brechiner. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Mayor. Um, so, you know, in, 20, in, 20, uh, in 2018, a disreputable PR agency in Lansing used dark money to send postcards to residents of Ward 1 claiming I was anti-abortion. And of course, like many things that come out of PR agencies, that was not so. It's just simply not true. Well, I do think that abortion is a medical issue and not an issue for government. We've seen that anything can be politicized. And so here we are, despite the good work of one of my colleagues digging up the fact that, you know, and, and I, I barely remember this because I just moved back a year when it happened that in 1990, the, our charter basically did what we've done for other things that shouldn't, shouldn't be uh, crimes and, uh, you know, made the $5 fine and, and created this zone around the city. And I think that was perfectly appropriate. And it's, it's excellent that, that that happened and that it's on our books. And uh, it certainly doesn't hurt to reinforce the notion that it's a, a right that people have. And while I believe it's a private right and a medical issue and not a government issue, I, I think the government, the government shouldn't be granting rights. It shouldn't be taking away rights. The rights are human rights. They belong to, to each individual and each individual's choice. So that's where I come from when it comes to pro-choice. If, if people choose to have an abortion, that's fine. And if, if they don't, that's fine too. It's none of my business. But I think it's appropriate at this time, with all the concerns that we have in our community and in our country, that we reaffirm that the city does indeed um, you know, share this value that you, you should feel safe here in our community to exercise your individual rights, especially medical rights. It's ridiculous to think that someone, especially an old white man in DC, would tell you that you don't have the right to do something in the privacy of a doctor's office or a hospital with your own body, it's ridiculous. And so I appreciate this coming forward. Of course, I'm gonna support this. And uh, it's, it's just one of these things where it really, it's a shame that these kinds of things even have to be on our table for discussion, really. It shouldn't even be considered that we have to reemphasize that people have a right to medical uh, treatments, medical procedures, and um, you know other choices in their lives. So uh, thanks for bringing this forward. For the discussion, Councilor Rumlai. Thank you. Um, I generally refrain from, from making public statements on this issue. Um, I don't think it's a place for men to make laws that affect women in their health. Um, it's, it's frightening, it's scary that we're here today in 2022 
um, discussing this issue. I've spent my whole life with this right granted to women, and now it's going to be uh, it's being threatened, and states must take action to defend this uh, whenever and wherever they can. Um, it's mostly going to affect those in the lower income, uh, those who have less education, um, those who can who need it the most uh, in terms of health care. And I'm concerned what this means to other minority groups uh, because if this is overturned, then other rights that are granted to the LGBTQ community and other minority groups are also threatened. So this has more consequence than uh, we just heard. It'll have a cascading consequence to many rights that are shared by many people who are not male and not white. So um, I'll leave it at that, and of course I'll be supporting this tonight. Thank you. Councilor Grant. Thank you. Um, one thing that I've said consistently over the years is that I'm really um, thankful that this is not an issue that's debated at this table. Um, that that said, I'm I'm grateful to to Councilmember Briggs and and our counterparts at the county for for helping bring this forward. Um, I'm grateful to live in a community that is a zone of reproductive freedom and continues to affirm that right and has those. Um, in our community who who want to show that Ann Arbor is a is a stronghold. Um, I would argue that some of these rights um, actually have been taken away if you look at the history of um, reproductive rights in our country. It definitely um, is not linear and it, it has been an arc and it has been chipped away. But this um, this 1931 law is draconian. Um, I look at myself, my family members, my friends, and and think um, of positions that I have been in, that my friends have been in, and thought, what if, what if someone decided that, um, so like maybe you know maybe sepsis would be okay, and um, that maybe our lives were really not at risk, and and what, um, and that some of us might not be here today, if. Um, if this 1931 law were in effect over the last number of decades. So um, so I'm just truly appreciative to Councilmember Briggs for bringing this forward and um, for us making um, what I sure will be a unanimous statement. And, and for those of us who are going to put a lot of effort um, into this fight, because it is going to be a fight and one um, that is certainly worth winning. For the discussion, Councilmember Griswold. I'd like to be a co-sponsor, and I'd also like to uh, offer a personal note. I'm old enough to remember when abortion was not legal in Michigan, and and people had to choose to either not have an abortion or get an illegal abortion unless they could afford to fly to New York City. And I had a friend who literally got in bed and didn't get out for three days until I finally. Um, bought two plane tickets and set up an abortion appointment in New York City and we didn't have the money to stay in New York for the night so we flew out in the morning, she got her abortion and we flew back. Um, 
I was putting myself through college, so that was a major uh, imposition on me, but it was something that was absolutely necessary. And so I really uh, value the opportunity that people have now to be able to get an abortion locally if they choose to. Thank you. Further discussion? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm grateful to, uh, to Councilmember Briggs for, uh, for initiating this resolution and to the county too, of course, for, uh, for their work in this matter as well. Uh, with the, um, the Supreme Court's imminent uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, the government is uh, poised to affect the functional seizure of women's bodies for the purposes of forced birth. Uh, this is uh, an action that violates, of course, uh, the, uh, the woman's bodily integrity. Uh, the Government's requisition of women's bodies with anti-abortion laws to force them against their will to subordinate their bodies and lives to the fetus, to endure a pregnancy to term, to force them against their will to give birth. Uh, these are, uh, this is an immoral dystopian abomination. Uh, Ann Arbor believes that women have the right to control their own bodies and we as a council and a government are gonna do everything uh, we can, uh, limited though our powers are, uh, to protect it. And I'm proud that with the passage of this resolution uh, that Ann Arbor is going to stand firm with Planned Parenthood in court to fight for women's rights. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? Let the record show that it was unanimous. DC 8, resolution to approve the employment agreement with Milton Tahoney Jr. as city administrator, moved by Councilman Briggs, seconded by Councilman Griswold. Discussion, please, of DC 8. Uh, I guess I'll say this. Um, it, is, uh, it is, of course, uh, well, we have many things to thank Mr. Uh, Mr. Postuma for over the course of the, uh, his years of service. Uh, but, uh, but today, um, there is uh, one particular thing that we have to thank, and that is uh, his, uh, his discovery uh, of the availability of Mr. Dahoney. Uh, Mr. Dahoney came to us, of course, as an interim administrator uh, with um, you know, everyone's anticipation of it being, well, an, an unknown period of service. And uh, his service here has been, uh, been exemplary. Uh, one, one, need, one need only talk to the gentleman for a moment uh, to know that he is a person of, of, of wisdom, uh, intelligence, experience, uh, uh, character, and good sense. Uh, you know, he is a leader, uh, uh, a leader of leaders, and we are so fortunate to have him here, uh, fortunate that he is uh, eager to, to stay, and I'm delighted uh, to have worked with him and uh, and, uh, and the indomitable uh, Mr. McDonald uh, to put together a contract that I think uh, reflects uh, uh, proper terms for his service as city administrator, and I'm delighted to support it and delighted even more uh, that, uh, that he supports it. And so I, I look forward to, uh, to long years of service for the organization and the community. Further discussion? Councilmember Griswold. Uh, I'd like to be listed as a co-sponsor and um, I also thank Stephen Postema for finding Mr. Dahoney. And um, we talked many times at, during council um, office hours and I kept saying, we need to find someone who's overqualified, who's gonna come in here and right the ship. And I was using all these corporate terms. And, uh, and then when I went to Stephen Postema's retirement party, we actually heard the story from Mr. Dahoney's um, point of view, and I won't repeat it, but 
I suggest that council members ask him exactly what happened that got him to Ann Arbor. Welcome. Further discussion? Councilmember Hayner. Well, thanks, Mr. Mayor. I just want to I, I just want to clear the air because I have a history of my here on council of not supporting salaries over two hundred thousand dollars for public servants. And uh, I'm going to do that again tonight, although I certainly have appreciated the time working with Mr. Dohoney, and I'm glad that he's here, and I'm glad that he's going to stay, and he is being contracted to do so. But I just, I won't, I, I can't, I can't vote for a starting salary of $250,000. I just, it's just a policy, personal policy of mine. And I know you go to a private attorney or something, and they, you know, they charge you 250 an hour, or, um, you know, which is twice what, uh, a $250,000 salary is, but it's just it's just a, th a thing I, I vowed to never do. So I'm, I'm going to vote no, but I certainly appreciate Mr. Doney's service to the city and think he, he's well worth whatever we pay him. So, and thank you. Councilmember Grand. Thank you. I had a phone conversation with Mr. Dohoney last week where he was saying that he couldn't, like, was it Monday yet? Because we were just in the middle of budget amendments and such and we wanted to get to today but i was actually really excited to get to today because i knew that that dc8 was <laughs> on our agenda um and every time it got really cold or it felt like winter was going on forever i was so worried that we were going to lose mr Dohoney as our city administrator so um i'm glad on this nice warm day that we're locking it down um and welcome for the discussion councilmember ramlawi uh, thank you. Um, echo some of the statements that have been made. Um, my interactions with Mr. Dohoney have been very professional. Um, they've been successful. They've been rewarding. Um, and I'm looking to many more years of those. Um, this position, um, unfortunately, has seen a lot of turnover for many different reasons I won't go into. I hope that his contract employment with the city of Ann Arbor is one that goes on for many, 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 many moons. Um, we need a, a strong leader in this position. There's a lot of vacancies, a lot of retirements, and a lot of challenges, and a lot of new policies that council has set that we need to try to achieve. His, uh, his integrity and steadfast and experience lead me to believe um, strongly in support of this contract. And uh, not much more to say, but thanks, and I hope you stick around for many, many years. Council Verdina. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm going to join in singing the praises of uh, Mr. Dohoney. Um, I'll start actually by not sharing my own words, but I, I had the opportunity to interact with a few um, members of our commissions that work with Mr. Dohoney quite a bit over the weekend. Um, and words that were used to describe him to me were no nonsense, high caliber, communicative, he's a problem solver, and he gets things done. Um, I echo all of those. and. Um, I'm just so grateful that, um, like others have shared, um, Mr. Postum have put in the work to help find him and recruit him here, but also that Mr. Dohoney came and gave us a shot 
Um, and, and, you know, I, I think I've heard Mr. Dahoney say, it might have actually been at Mr. Postuma's retirement, that he hopes that this is the, the place that he would retire from. And I echo that sentiment. I, I think we have um, really secured an incredible leader for our community who has been a stabilizing force um, here in the organization. And, you know, I, I just am, am grateful that, that you are here and willing to stay. And, um, you know, to, to the point about a salary, I would also just say, you know, I, I think we want to make sure that, that we don't lose you to, to another opportunity elsewhere. And so, um, you know, I am comfortable paying people to competitively to make sure that we can keep them when we find someone of the caliber of Mr. Dahoney. So um, thank you, and I look forward to this next chapter. Councilmember Meyer. Thank you. As I said, when we uh, initially voted to pursue this course weeks ago, uh, I, you know, I was so impressed uh, by my initial interactions with Mr. Dahoney and with his um, presence and the way he uh, handled situations that uh, with. Uh, community organizations, DTE, uh, you know, different um, meetings that I was uh, a part of with him. Um, I could I could tell that what I was witnessing was something special, um, something that we haven't had here um, in my experience. Um, it, you know, someone who has such a breadth of experience and a, and a depth of knowledge um, that he's prepared to deal with whatever comes our way. And, uh, and if he's not, he knows how to go about it. And uh, it's that uh, demeanor, um, that knowledge that inspires confidence in the organization and has, uh, has really helped to um, change our course uh, and, um, and lift our spirits here um, after some, some troubling times. So um, I'm, I'm excited to welcome him on board. Um, I, I wish this were a unanimous vote. Uh, I understand, um, you know, that uh, certain, <laughs> well, I just wish this were a, a unanimous vote, but I, you know, I, I guess I, I wanna say that I, I think that all of our city employees, um, are paid less than uh, than what they could make in the private sector, um, but I know they they do it for um, for reasons other than than money. Um, that you know we have a lot of public servants throughout our organization up and down the line, and uh, and I appreciate all of them. So um, thank you, Mr. Dahoney, for being willing to lead our organization. Further discussion, Councilmember Dish. Just four tiny things. A lot of things have changed in the short time that Mr. Dahoney's been with us, and I want to thank him for supporting the initiative to make the city an attractive employer for our summer workers by raising our minimum wage. Um, I'd like to thank him for bringing the bonding of our road repair to fruition. I'd like to thank him for creating a new climate in which the city actively pursues grants and I'd like to thank him for um, some improvements towards work-life balance. Further discussion? Councilmember Amlawi. Uh, thank you. I know the, uh, there were some discussions made about the salary. Um, 
as Councilmember Iyer has said, that I think pretty much everybody that I know here, if they were to leave, they can go make more money in the private sector. Um, I just want to thank the community, really. It's the community that's going to be paying the salary. The taxpayers, the residents, our, our, our fortunate nature of being um, as affluent as we are to be able to attract and hire and keep somebody like Mr. Dahoney. Uh, we are fortunate, we are blessed to have um, the fortunes to spend and attract and keep talent. And so um, a thank you to the residents of Ann Arbor um, and the taxpayers in helping us um, uh, foot the bill. Thank you. Further discussion? Roll call vote, please, starting with Councilmember Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song, absent? Councilmember Graham? Yes. Councilmember Rodina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Enthusiastically, yes. Councilmember Ramawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? No. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. Let us take a short break, reconvening at uh, 910.
We are back after a short break. Uh, before uh, before we roll into DS1, perhaps we can we can break protocol and have a few words from Mr. Dahoney with uh, with council's acquiescence. Mr. Dahoney. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I appreciate the opportunity for a point of personal privilege, and then there's one business item I, I do need to mention. But first, uh, I just want to thank the members of council for your vote of confidence. Um, I am thrilled to be in Ann Arbor. Uh, it is a place that I think is a good fit for what I bring to the table. I have enjoyed my opportunity to work with each of you and the members of the community and the staff on a daily basis. Uh, I did say at Mr. Postuma's retirement, and I did mean that this is my last job. <laughs> I, I'm not running around the country looking for something else. I want to be here and be a part of problem solving. Um, my wife and I are committed to being here, so much so that last weekend we went to the Humane Society and we now have Trevor Dahoney as the new member of our household. <laughs> And he is a dog, yes, not a, not a baby, I, not a please, <laughs> not a cat. Uh, the business item, uh, call it superstition or whatever you want to, normally when budgets are happening, my CFO is seated, seated right beside me. And so because she isn't, I am requesting that when you finish your deliberation of DS4, but before you vote, that we put Ms. Prashan on the screen and I can actually hear her say, there are no pending issues. <laughs> because I'd hate to have the vote taken and then she's screaming that, hey, this, because you never know where the conversation is going. So if you will permit that, uh, thank you, appreciate it. Well, it'll, it'll, it'll be our pleasure and I'm sure we can accommodate that, although uh, it, sometimes things go, sometimes things don't make it from RAM to the hard drive. And so if you would uh, be so kind as to remind me if it looks like I'm going to miss that one. DS1, resolution to approve the fiscal year 2023 fee adjustments for the community services area. Moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Ramlawi. Discussion, please, of DS1. Councilmember Hayner. Hey, thanks. Um, I was just emailing Mr. Delacorte about this. I'd, I had a question that I forgot to shoot forward. And oh, hey, there he is. Excellent. So that, thank you for answering this. So the second whereas clause says, recent changes in UDC support the applic application of site plan review fees to scale with the size of the proposed development. Can you tell me what those changes are that support this scaling of the costs? Yeah, yeah, that's um, due to the changes made to the uh, site plan review process in the UDC. All the costs associated with those were assigned to reviewed by city council, plans reviewed by city council. Those are only to reallocate those costs to plans that now only go to the planning commission or um, the planning manager. So it was ju just the fee schedule did not re reflect the changes that had been made in the ordinance. There's no additional charges. They're just now appropriately allocated to the right board places. So the stream system is a replacement for what was known as E-Track, that's correct? Correct. Okay. And it's implemented now? It's out there? Yes. And and what do current e-tracket holders or people who are in the middle of an e-tracket process, what, what should they expect to do? E-tracket is being kept alive long enough to finish the projects that were started under 
um, and those will be completed uh, through that process, and then new projects are being funneled into stream. Okay. So at the last reading of this, thank you for answering those questions and showing up here. So at the last reading of this, I, I, I didn't support it because I, I have a kind of a problem with charging folks who want to do things the old-fashioned way. So we've had this new system in place. Not everybody has access to IT resources or the ability to understand how to... And I mean, it's just the truth. I know they say that 90% of the people in our community, 90% plus of in our community, um, have some type of internet access or a computer in their home, according to the census. But there's plenty of people who don't. And, you know, the idea that we're going to charge people more for wanting to come down here and take a form off the wall, which I assume won't be here anymore for them, and fill it out and hand it to a clerk versus go online and learn how to use a new system and create a login and all that kind of stuff. I understand that we have to re-enter that data, but I don't see any commensurate reduction in the need for staff with this new system. And so it just didn't make any sense to me to penalize people who are maybe individuals, whereas a corporation or a developer has somebody sitting there, they can fill this stuff out all day. And so it's just another way that we're shifting our services towards those who are computer competent, who are big companies versus the individuals, uh, people who have access to computers versus people who don't and so on. And I'm just, it doesn't sit well with me to do that. So I'm sure this will pass. And I know that uh, you've taken a hard look at the fees and they're, they're probably appropriate uh, for the work that you have to do, but I, I'm not going to support it. Further discussion? Councilor Griswold. Uh, I'm just wondering if you're going to have a a computer terminal at the um, at the desk, so that if someone comes in and they haven't filled out their application before they arrived online, can they fill it out there in your department at customer service and get help if they need it? Because that was one of the complaints I heard that they had to go back home and then no one was there to help them. Yeah, um, certainly through COVID and the, and the, the initiation of the system, there's, we're learning a lot. Um, I appreciate you asking that. Yeah, that is our intent. And we're working with IT to provide some type of um, space on premise to allow these to be filled out. And I, and I do want to make it clear. I know we're putting the fees in place and we need to do that um, for folks who are potentially habitual um, in their in their desire not to use the new system, just out of flat out, we have no intent of refusing service or refusing help to people at the counter who genuinely have a have a problem or an inability or or don't have the tools necessary to, to fill out a permit or, or the paperwork. Our staff is empowered to to reconsider those fees when necessary. If someone is genuinely unable to or does not have access to a system. But we do want the ability to, to charge those fees for people who are just um, don't want to follow the new process um, and don't want to use the new system. So we're going to be, as, especially in the transition of the system, we're going to be as, as friendly as we can with folks um, until it's everybody's got to use it. And, and I apologize for the long answer, but yes, council, council member as well, we do intend to have some, some on-site, if possible. Uh, we're working with IT on that right now. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate those comments. Further discussion? Roll call vote, please, starting with Councilmember Griswold.
Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song, absent. Councilmember Grand? Yes. Councilmember Rodino? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? Yeah, no. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. DS2 resolution to approve fiscal year 2023 fee adjustments for public services area engineering systems planning public works and water treatment units moved by Councilmember Grand seconded by Councilmember Adina discussion please of DS2 Councilmember Hayner Thank you Mr. Mayor the biggest concern I have with this one is 1D under engineering services unit where we're going to um, slowly increase and escalate the um, annual residential parking permit cost until recovery is achieved for that. And I know we have some concerns about the residential parking permit program. And as we move to a, a zero parking in all our supposedly zero parking in all our development, those problems are only going to grow. And so the notion that we're going to escalate costs on these residential permits um, it should just be an eye opener for folks. And I think that this this body needs to have a conversation about, um, you know, residential parking and how what's going to happen if we do create parking maximums or zero parking requirements for certain areas where um, you try as we might to social engineer people away from cars. They still they still keep showing up. And, you know, as the townships uh, massively developed like Pittsfield is out along Maple is but one example. Um, it's going to be a challenge for street parking for and I know the streets belong to everyone and no one at the same time. And so uh, I just I'm concerned about escalating fees and, and really escalating cost of living in Ann Arbor. Further discussion. Roll call vote please starting with council member Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song? Absent. Councilmember Graham? Yes. Councilmember Rodina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Mowley? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? Yes. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. DS3 resolution to approve fiscal year 2023 fee adjustments for the fire department moved by. Councilmember Iyer, seconded by Councilmember Rodina. Discussion, please, of DS3. All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. DS4, resolution to adopt Ann Arbor City budget related property tax millage rates for fiscal year 2023. Moved by Councilmember Grand, seconded by Councilmember Dish. Discussion, please, of DS4. Councilmember Grand. Thank you. Um, I'd like to start us off by moving Amendment 3 that's in our um, packet this evening. Um, I will not be speaking to all of the pieces of Amendment 3 because I know that some of my co-sponsors uh, will be speaking more to deflection. And I know Attorney Slay is here. If anyone has questions about that, I see her in the audience. Thank you. Um, I did want to pass along a little bit about something that um, was not previously in our plans. Um, which is the $75,000 for exploration, community engagement, and planning for um, a BIPOC small business development place. Um, this came out of um, some ideas from residents. I'm going to um, give a shout out to, to Greg Pratt from Ward 3, but others in the community who pointed out that um, this could be a really strong alignment 
between council policy that asks that we use these funds to address disparities caused by the war on drugs. Um, and, and particularly at this site, and while it might not end up at this site, this money is for exploration and engagement and planning, um, but at the 4th and Catherine site, knowing that um, this historically has been, um, you know, historically a black business district in Ann Arbor, the idea that we could have a um, BIPOC small business development site um, or space, uh, I think, um, would have a lot of resonance in the community and, and really would speak to, to part of what we're doing with these funds. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't continue these business development efforts um, in other places, both within um, Housing Commission properties um, or at alternative sites. And I've heard other ideas that I think are terrific um, to, to encourage this kind of um, investment. Um, another piece that I wanted to speak to, um, and I know there's, you know, there there are some alternative views on, on how to spend this money. I do think that it's incredibly important to keep um, some money for um, utility support. I think that's also highly aligned um, to have more money for barrier busters. Also, thinking about equity, having this public works apprenticeship program. Um, I wanted to be able to, to hopefully keep that money in there. Um, but, but also we did hear concerns in the community about the deflection program and where it would be eventually housed. And I was able to have conversations with um, Attorney Slay. And while I certainly appreciate her expertise, participation, enthusiasm um, for these efforts, I think it's also important to hear from folks that might we want to also build trust and we want to in the end um, have people you know who need them utilize these services so i did get a commitment from her that eventually um, this wouldn't be housed in the prosecutor's office just listening to to folks in the community and and the concerns they expressed around that so um thank council you member. for that and further talking. discussion councilor dish I'd like to say a little bit more about the deflection piece um, because I think that that it can't be said enough <laughs> that deflection is a new program. It is not a rebranding of the diversion and expungement pilot programs, which were funded for this past fiscal year with 190,000 of the excise tax rebate. That funding, that earlier funding, and those programs are ongoing and they've been very successful. But deflection is something else. Deflection is important because it hews even more closely than diversion does to council's stated purposes for the marijuana tax revenues because in contrast to diversion, deflection occurs without anyone being charged with a crime or having a criminal file built. So the deflection program may provide mental health services, substance abuse counseling, and assistance with housing, transportation, and other needs without filing any criminal charges, without any threat of arrest, so to speak, and with no fingerprinting. And providing such services to an individual in crisis is consistent with the new commitment articulated by the county and by the city to address the root causes of crime, such as housing, mental, behavioral health, and substance abuse. Now, these are many of the things that we aim to achieve by developing a so-called unarmed response program. Um, and 
I, of course, am fully in support of that, and I recognize that these are not the same things. But the point is that if we allocate this funding, we can get these services to some of the people who need them now. And it is important to underscore that deflection candidates can be referred to the program by members of the community, by an unarmed response unit, by ambulance service, by substance abuse or treatment providers, by mental health providers, as well as by police and fire. Um, it does not, you do not need to go through an encounter with law enforcement officers to, um, to get into this program. And um, about, about half of the budget is going to provide staffing to support this project and the, or the pilot, and then the other half is for the contractual relationships with the various nonprofit partners such as CMH, CMH Delanus, Hawk, Avalon, and the Public Defender's Office. Plus, um, uh, in addition, is, is the services, the cost of the services that we're gonna provide. So half, half staff and half contracts with um, nonprofits and services. So, um, and if anybody felt like I spoke too quickly, uh, <laughs> Attorney Slay is in the room, so we could invite her to speak as the expert on this program. Uh, it's been observed by the clerk that I neglected to ask for a second. Is there a second in this amendment? Second by Councilmember Iyer. Pardon me, Councilmember Adina. Thank you, Mayor, uh, and actually thank you to my colleagues who have done so much explaining that it will enable me to shorten my remarks uh, considerably. Um, I I'm glad that we're bringing this forward as well. I know that this uh, came from a number of conversations among the co-sponsors here, um, but also in particular uh, with, with Attorney Slay, who I, I do want to thank for her advocacy for deflection, um, which Councilmember Dish so eloquently described for us. Um, I also want to reiterate and, and provide some thanks to uh, Dr. Lisa Jackson from ICPOC, who was involved in these conversations, who I had the opportunity to talk with also this weekend about deflection. I think um, what we heard from Councilmember Grand is there are members of the community who, um, in order to inspire confidence in a, in a deflection program, would want to see this housed outside of the criminal justice system um, and to work with our unarmed response program. Um, whether that's under the um, Office of Organizational Equity when, when that person is hired or under the administrator in a different capacity, I think that is helpful, but also because if we want this to be successful and long-term, if the pilot is, goes the way that we hope it will, um, it needs to be tied to a, a space of its own and not to an individual. And while Attorney Slay has certainly been a, an, an adequate champion and a, a not more than adequate champion and an enthusiastic champion of this program, um, it is my hope that a year from now she will be serving our community in a different capacity. And so we, we will need to make sure that we have folks here that are leading this program um, outside of, of her as well. And so um, I'm very excited for these allocations. I think that they reflect what we hoped to use this marijuana excise tax, uh, these dollars for, um, and I encourage my colleagues' support. Councilmember Hainer. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Mayor. Um, you know, it's my understanding when we had laid out before us what was going to happen at 121 East Catherine Street, I, I swore that we were going to have space in there for the African American Cultural Historical Museum. Is that what this, this whatever we're calling it, is going to replace? 
this small business development space that's going to replace yeah, the uh, African American Cultural Historical Museum that was promised to be part of that development? If that's the case, I certainly won't support this. Now, secondly, I, I was perfectly happy with what we were doing with the marijuana excise tax rebate money. I think we've had some great success with those programs. And there's many things in this amendment that do not meet what I had envisioned when I helped support that last earlier. Um, certainly, sustainability grants have little to do with that. And public works apprenticeship programs, I, I mean, I just, there's a bunch of things in here that just really don't jive with what I had pictured using that money for, which was to undo the harms of people who've been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And I know the folks in the legal marijuana community would, would be interested in, you know, what happens with this money. And uh, I, I just, I think this is too much, some of these are too much of a stretch for me to support. Councilmember Iyer. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited about all of these allocations, um, particularly the deflection program. Uh, I did want to speak briefly about uh, one of the smaller portions of this um, in Councilmember Song's absence. Um, I wanted to advocate for something that um, that she was really passionate about and, and wanted included in here, and that is the $35,000 for the um, child savings program. Um, this is 35000 that would be... Um, uh, contributed uh, for Ann Arbor kids, for our lowest income Ann Arbor kids, um, to the county program that's getting off the ground. Um, this is a child savings account program that the county is operating through um, the uh, community, community Economic Development Office and in partnership with WISD. Um, uh, this is uh, something that addresses educational disparities through investing in lower income uh, public schools begin to impact uh, social determinants of health like generational wealth, employment and educational attainment. Um, and uh, basically it uh, would, for our part, deposit an additional $25 per uh, child um, into these child savings accounts um, uh, so that uh, these families can get a jump start to uh, to build some of that uh, wealth for um, educational attainment in their future. Um, and so I'm really supportive of this. I think it's a, a great start uh, for a great program, and I hope you'll support it. Uh, Councilmember Briggs. Yeah, um, thanks. I um, think in combination with um, our the uh, budget amendment, proposed budget amendment number two. Um, this helps to advance um, a number of the um, priorities that staff had put forward um, in terms of alignment, but also helps to um, hopefully better align this with the resolution that we passed last year. Um, it's exciting to see that um, the deflection program was um, presented within a couple of budget amendments um, and has broad support across the table. Um, and so it's nice when that when that appears. Um, so I'm excited to to support this. I think it helps us move forward a lot of different a lot of different items. Um, and um, 
in a lot of different um, sort of um, aspects of our city organization as well in terms of um, addressing some of our needs. So excited to support this. Councilmember Ramloe. Uh, thank you. Um, this has come a long way since uh, we first received a memo from the city administrator's office uh, allocating this money in, in ways that were uh, what I felt completely off base from the resolution R21-098, which was passed March 15th of 2021, which called for the spending to be prescribed in a very specific way. Um, I, with others, worked with um, our city prosecutor's office and the city administrator to quickly address this issue. Uh, my colleagues here also uh, responded and have brought their own version of the prescription. Um, I'm not sure if, if, if the amendment that I sponsored and work on will see the day of the light after this one has been advanced first. I can only try to improve what I see here. Um, the $100,000 for a public works apprentice program is, is not, I can't support that. And I won't support that. And I hope this, this body will, will come around to supporting the wording that they all agreed to in resolution R21-98098. Um, <coughs> the, um, I have asked, um, I have sent uh, an amendment to, her, to uh, Ms. Beaudry earlier. If she could send that amendment around, um, I can resend it if, if needed. That modifies this amendment in two areas of spending. You know, the one area, and I'll just wait until people receive that. Councilmember Ramlawi, I've sent it out. Thank you. There are two areas that of spending that I have issues with. Um, the $100,000 again, and then a second area of the $60,000 to the Office of Sustainability and Innovation for the Low Income Sustainability Grants Program for a total of $160,000. Um, I've simply copied and pasted this amendment changing two lines. One is the $100,000 and the other is the $60,000. I uh, propose to repurpose that $100,000 uh, to our community partners at Dawn Farms. I also propose to repurpose the $60,000 to go to the home of New Vision in a brighter way, $30,000 each. Councilor, do you want to take these, those amendments separately or together? Um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll do them separately. All right, well, let's roll with the first one. Uh, is, there a, is there a second on the $100,000 to Dawn Farm? Councilmember, seconded by Councilmember uh, uh, Griswold. Uh, um. Thank you. 
Uh, some may ask how I, I got to these organizations. I reached out to um, staff, and, and more specifically to Teresa Gelati, and asked who in our community can help distribute these funds in a way that affects the people who are most affected by the war on drugs and the fallout of, 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 of that failed policy that would continually be haunted by today. And it's, it's no surprise, I think, to this body, I hope, that the record number of overdoses, just last year alone, 106,000 people died of overdoses in, in the United States. We're, we, in the last two years, both years, in 2020 and 2021, we've lost over 100,000 people to fentanyl and other overdose um, drugs. Here, based again in the spirit of resolution R21-098, I asked this body to repurpose this money to get that money to the people who need it the most. And we have a crisis on our hands with overdoses in our country. There a further discussion of the amendment? Councilor Briggs. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to ask um, Mr. Dehoney or um, some another member of staff to perhaps speak a little bit to the Public Works Apprenticeship Program. Um, and you know, I guess my hope is that this might have been something that would have been um, uh, work that also would have been partnered with our um, eventually with our DEI office um, as that gets up and running. Um, I've seen some, some very innovative programming with public works, uh, perfect services programs and, um, in this area. So I'm just kind of curious um, what staff's intent is on this in terms of workforce development. I believe Mr. Steglitz is available. Promoting Mr. Stegelitz now. Hello. Are you able to hear me? Yes, we can. I'm here to address the question about the apprenticeship program. Program. Um, this is something that we've been we've been thinking about for for a long time about how we can um, provide opportunities to get people into entry level positions um, in public works. Um, Molly also may be able to answer. If she, I think she's available. Also, Molly Machievsky. Um, and maybe we can pull her in because she is sort of the brainchild behind this um, proposal. But it's to provide opportunities for folks um, in the community who um, may not come through the typical typical channels and provide them an opportunity to get in the door, um, train with staff, um, and have an opportunity to make a career um, in public works position entry level jobs. Hi, can everybody hear me? Yes, we can. Oh, great. So 
Uh, yes, thank you, Brian. Um, the Public Works Academy uh, is really to look um, at trying to develop our future workforce. Uh, we struggle to hire these positions. It's especially hard because upon entry right now, the way the job descriptions are written, um, most of our technicians require a CDL, um, so a commercials driver's license, um, to operate our large equipment. Um, the, the state rules have just changed on this um, to make the training program um, be required to be held by a third party and um, also then, of course, comes with that training costs. And so we feel that in, in order to attract um, particularly people um, in, new into the workforce, people that don't understand even what we do, um, is to do outreach into communities um, where you know maybe going to college isn't um, every child's first choice and attracting those students that don't even know about public works into the world of public works by offering an apprentice program where we pay for that CDL training um, and provide other on-the-job training for them um, as a way to bring uh, new people into the workforce. Thank you. Councilmember Dish. Can, I'm sorry, can I yeah. just ask a little follow-up uh, question on that? Uh, you can at your next, at your okay. next speaking Very time. Right. Um, Councilmember Dish. Thank you, Councilmember Briggs, for bringing staff in. Um, the, the resolution language that we passed in March of 2021 talked about using these funds to intentionally reinvest, reinvest in our community, acknowledge the harm of criminalization, support populations disproportionately and negatively affected by the war on drugs. And we identified demonstrated needs in the areas of providing mental health services, augmenting emergency service response um, by bringing mental health professionals at the forefront and continuing efforts to expand social justice work. That's a broad category, social justice work. But it appears, or rather, in my view, uh, we talk a lot about diversity in the city, and we imagine that diversity is out there and, and it will come to us if we tell it that it's welcome. And what this Public Works Apprenticeship Program is trying to do is to reach out and find people who would not normally find their way to a job in public works. And so that is about building diversity by giving it a pathway in and not assuming that it's going to find its way to our door. And so to me, there was a direct connection to one of the, one of the things that we approved in our resolution of March 15th. Councilmember Hainer. Well, we all, we all know <clears throat> Dawn Farms is a long track record of doing good work in our community and they could use this money. So I'm gonna support this amendment. I, I'm, I have no doubt that a public works apprenticeship program is something that the city could use and that it would you know, likely provide some kind of value that we don't have now in, in that service area, but it's, um, it's just too much of a reach for me to consider that this is what we intended this funding to be used for. And I know that this, it's likely that this funding is gonna grow, grow a little bit more and then kind of probably level off, you know, as long as the state allows it to keep coming to us after they take their cut, which is, you know, as the, you know, the law, as the law is written, they, they can decide what that cut is at any time and change it. So we, 
possibly shouldn't be creating ongoing programs here, new ongoing programs, just like we shouldn't have been doing that with the ARPA funding. So I just, I, I think it's a, I think it, it I thank Councilman Ramwali for bringing forward this resolution to re-divert re some of this money back to a more intentional use, and uh, I'm, I'm going to support this resolution. Councilman Briggs. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I certainly support um, Don Farms and think that they're an, an outstanding organization. Um, I, I'm looking at our whereas clauses versus our resolved clauses and our um, in our resolution and it, what we resolved to do was to limit this to uses specifically related to restorative and alternative strategies for public safety and community support. Um, and certainly workforce development is something that I see in terms of providing a pathway to um, good paying positions in the city and um, diversity within our workforce is something I think is um, something we're, uh, we've talked about and we, we don't have a tangent, we really need need to be building our, our program on this. Um, one of the things that, in terms of supporting this moving forward, I, I'm hearing um, some aspect of this, but I would also hope that if this, if this passes, that we are very intentional about connecting this public apprenticeship program with um, the work of our, our um, DEI officer when they come into the city. I think that's really integral in terms of make, aligning this um, very specifically with the use of the excise funds and, and making sure that we really are um, um, uh, you know, diversifying our workforce um, as well. Councilor Grand. Thank you. Um, I. I think the fact that we support the work of Don Farm is shown um, in a couple ways. I think it's it's in it's one of the agencies that would be funded through the deflection program. So um, even though it's not explicitly there, it's there. Mm -hmm. um, and and I do you know when I look at and think about you know what is in the res in the language of the resolution. Um, an intentional reinvestment in our community, and if we're challenging staff to look at ways that they can approach their work through a lens of equity and be creative in trying to um, you know, make real investments in economic development. And I think that um, this program, maybe if you look at the title of it, you may not believe that it actually um, is in line with our policy, but as, as we were going through this and, and this, um, this amendment went through multiple iterations, um, and, and I just, I feel very strongly that, um, that this program is one that should be supported, that I really wanna show um, my support for staff in their efforts to, to take on this challenge of, of looking at, at what they can do um, through a lens of equity and um, and helping you know support that in our in our workforce Councilmember Hainer intentional reinvestment in the community is different than intentional reinvestment in the city we are responsible for receiving these funds from the state and the intent of the previous resolution was to redistribute them to the community, reinvest in the community, not in ourselves as a city government, 
not in ourselves as city staff. No matter how good a program this may turn out to be, this is the wrong place to get the money for it. It just simply is. This money is to reinvest in the community, not ourselves as a city structure, as a city government, or as a city staff or a public works department. That's not the right place to get this money from. That's how I feel. Councilmember Armlowy. I, I appreciated the spirited discussion. Um, I support this apprentice program. In fact, later I'll have another amendment to prove that. I just believe, as just was stated, that this isn't the right source of funding for that program. And uh, I, I think we can find the $100,000 somewhere else. We've done this type of thing with, for the, the police department and the fire department in prior budget cycles. And we found that money from our general fund. And I know this is our general fund dollars. Um, but I have a, a strict interpretation of resolution 21-098. Councilman Nelson. Thank you. Um, I'm reading the original memo that we got in April um, describing this public works apprentice program. And um, it, it does look to be a worthy program. And the challenge for me is that um, this is the kind of thing that we're looking ahead to potentially moving forward with in subsequent years. And we have, we have been told, I was told in meetings at least, that we're treating the marijuana excise tax funds as non-recurring. And it strikes me that this public works apprenticeship program is the kind of thing that we would want in a budget that is recurring dollars. And I think also um, this deflection program is an example of how the purposes that were listed in the original resolution last year um, create a lot of opportunity for a extended spending or expanded spending. Um, so, you know, the, the original resolution was in contemplating the spending of $476,000 and the success of that and the creative thinking among staff um, led us to this deflection program that is something more ambitious and and more optimistic, more more ambitious, basically, in terms of what we can accomplish consistent with the terms of the resolution. I um, I support Councilmember Ramlawi's amendment, this amendment, because um, in until we have bigger, bolder, more ambitious programs like the deflection program, I think that it's an appropriate. It's investing this money in Dawn Farms is an appropriate use, consistent with the resolution that we unanimously passed, I think, with six sponsors. Um, I would much rather this Public Works Apprenticeship Program be funded from a source that will be recurring. Thank you. Councilmember Grand. Thank you. Um, it's it's not surprising to me that, that there's um, a disagreement that I think is sort of falls along the lines of, of like literal or contextual interpretation of, of this policy. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's it's an important discussion, and it's one that I'm I'm happy we're having because um, I I look at this money as you know even though it may not 
be recurring from this source, that this is an opportunity to try some things out on a one-time basis and make the case. Um, that's why the deflection has um, funding not only for the services, but also for data collection and evaluation. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to fundamentally disagree with um, with my colleague, Councilman Hainer, that, that I don't see a separation between the city and our community. Our city is the community. Um, and, and it's hiring people from the community and paying them fairly with, with good benefits and providing opportunities for growth and economic stability and, um, and investment in them as individuals when those are people from our community. Um, I don't see that as, as self-serving. Um, I see that as, as our, our place in the city as, as I, I just don't see that. I, I really struggle to see that line. So um, I appreciate where this is coming from. I won't be supporting this amendment uh, because I think it's an important program. For the discussion. Uh, for my part, I just want to talk uh, super briefly about the, uh, the, re the referenced resolution, the, the policy resolution back in 2021 was the, the, the policy of this body and there has been, to my understanding, no reliance in the public upon that policy, no reliance in third parties on that policy. It is, it ca does not carry normative force. We are not bound by it. It was our decision as to what we, in, uh, it stated we intended to do with that, uh, that money. I still think for the most part, it's a great idea. Those, and I stand by uh, the, you know, the intentionality and the goals of that, uh, that resolution. It's worth noting, I think, however, that it was just what we thought at the time, and we are free to change our minds if we choose. It does not have, uh, there is no reliance upon it. It carries no normative force. It's in the balance an excellent, continues to be excellent policy for my part. I believe Amendment 3 as drafted reflects that policy, but I'm supporting it because it's a good idea, not because it's consistent with the ideas that this body had with respect to marijuana monies back in 2021. Further discussion of the amendment. Roll call vote on the amendment, the amendment to eliminate funding for public works program and insert Don Farms in the amount of $100,000. On that amendment, roll call with Councilmember Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song, absent. Councilmember Graham? No. Councilmember Dina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? No. Councilmember Iyer? No. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? No. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? Yes. Councilmember Dish? No. Motion fails. Further discussion? Councilmember uh, Ramlawi, your second amendment to the amendment. Um, I have asked that the $60,000 that was going to be going to OSI be distributed equally amongst Home of New Vision in a brighter way. I've also included for reference uh, what those organizations do um, for those who may not be familiar with them. And again, Pardon? these are. Pardon oh, I'm me, sorry, is there a second? second? Second by Councilmember Hainer. Councilmember Lyle. Thank you. Um, so for reference as to what those organizations do, 
and in the spirit of R21098, um, I believe we uh, follow the direction that was set with that. Um, I'm a little bit shell-shocked by that last vote, but uh, <laughs> uh, I can at least uh, know how I stood on it and, and how I voted. And to, uh, I'll have comments later, uh, but I'm, I'm, really, I'm really stunned. For the discussion of the amendment, Councilmember Hainer. I was, I'm kind of happy to see this brought forward. Um, I had the, I mean, it's just one of those odd, th it's serendipitous things. I, I was having a conversation with someone in a parking lot about a job, and we started talking about the great need for women and children shelters and additional support services for folks who are uh, struggle with addiction and so on. And um, I was lamenting um, the uh, fact that we could have had had our quote unquote unarmed response program already in place had we not so uh, towed the line of the 40-40-20 resolution. And uh, we went back and forth and we were all in agreement on it. It turns out it was uh, Miss Anderson who's the CEO of the <laughs> home of New Vision. <laughs> I, just see, I just see this on the screen here as I'm clicking through it. And she told me about home of New Vision and the work they're doing and, and um, uh, I recognize one of the buildings when she told me one of the buildings is out in Ipsy and so on and it was just really an interesting thing to, to see that there's so many people so many small organizations who are doing their own thing to help people in our community who are desperately in need of our support outside of our coordinated funding support and um, she just she just struck me as someone who was wholly competent and dedicated to her mission before I even considered that it was coming like this so I, that's really interesting that you you put the, her for, put their group forward as one of them and and uh, because I had that personal experience and the long conversation with her about their mission and their work uh, I'm going to support this so thank you further discussion Council Veradina thank you mayor um, I too am going to support this amendment and um, in part because of the good work of these two organizations, um, because I think it is directly uh, related to uh, the, the marijuana excise tax revenue intentions, um, but also because I, I see another amendment where we might be able to make whole some of these additional dollars that this would be borrowing from in this uh, initial resolution. And so um, I plan to support this, and, and if it passes, I, I will offer an amendment as such at the time. Further discussion? Council McGrand. Thank you. Um, I certainly appreciate where that's that's coming from and um, and I you know part of part of why um, I continue to, to advocate with others about you know having some money for these low income sustainability grants. Um, if we think about what the original staff recommendation was there was seven hundred thousand dollars um, for these programs because um, because I think you know our our staff believed in in what this was doing in terms of the the connection between equity and sustainability and that if we are going to move forward with a two zero that it should be available to everyone um, so so I you know I think that that these are excellent agencies I do think it's it's aligned um, you know, since since that's not a guarantee, that other amendment, um, I want to make sure that there's at least a little money 
um, in here, but um, if it if it goes the other way, um, I'll look forward to that discussion later at the table. For the discussion, the amendment, Councilmember Ramlawi. Um, you know that that last vote is, is pretty much rocked my core, to be honest with you. After after learning of the the effects and the fallout of of, of the pandemic and the mental health crisis that has now ensued. I'm just in shock that that didn't get the support, and I hope this one does at least. Um, we're talking about these low-income sustainability grants, $700,000 is well recommended. But to be quite, quite honest, I don't know what all that means. What are the metrics? Who are those awarded to? How do we how do we break the systemic um, uh, problems that we have with poverty and drug addiction in this community by using those grants? And I guess since we're on this topic and we we're about to s to spend uh, three quarters of a million dollars, uh, if if somebody if staff could explain to me how this money is spent, who gets it, and the metrics involved to measure the success. I'll make some initial comments and then I would invite Dr. Stoltz uh, to also make comments. Councilmember Grand's uh, statement a few minutes ago is on point with the thought process that staff put into it. This city has determined a strong policy direction for sustainability. This city has also expressed a strong policy support for diversity, equity, and inclusion. If we're going to go all out to execute sustainability, without recognizing that there is a segment of the population that will get left behind unless we help them make the leap. That's what motivated us to put some money towards this direction. If low-income people cannot afford uh, all of the necessary expenses for housing, how are they ever going to get the ability or capacity to deal with putting solar on their house? we felt like this presented an opportunity for us to help them. Uh, we accept that that might not be supported, but that's just simply our mindset. Uh, Dr. Stoltz, are you available? I am, yes. Thank you, Mr. Dahoney, and thanks, Council. Uh, the question, if I, if I caught it all before I came over, was twofold. It was, what would this support, and how would you know it was successful? And um, I'll take those, and if, if I'm off base, please let me know. In terms of what we envisioned this program supporting, it would support things like our Aging in Place Efficiently program, which helps low-income seniors stay in homes by making improvements. It would support expansion of weatherization services, which are currently limited in how much they can spend per household with the funding that they receive. But we're asking to go further in weatherization services, and so we'd be able to supplement it with this grant program programming for those who are eligible. It would also support uh, our work on uh, offering low-income grants, 
or direct buys for the kinds of equipment that people are going to need to make investments in as we transition through. In terms of metrics of success, certainly number of people served and reduction in energy burden are the two primary metrics that we've been setting up behind the scenes for this kind of a program. Thank you. For the council member Nelson. Dr. Stoltz, um, I'm wondering um, how many have you, this program has been in place already, right? Or it, we've already done grants like these, or is this the beginning of it? Yes-ish. The Aging in Place Efficiently program is fully grant funded, and so that exists, and we're making improvements uh, in that through that program, but the expansion of it in the way that we're envisioning it doesn't exist. So how we'd many, be leveraging that. How many households have already been helped by the Aging in Place program? Yeah, 19, 19 households so far through that program. How many households have been helped with the weatherization program? Oh, I apologize. That's administered through the county and I don't have that number top of mind. Are there specific contractors that are used with the weatherization program? Yeah, they have to be verified contractors through the state and they go through vetting through Washtenaw County. The Office of Community and Economic Development runs our county weatherization program. So is the, is the county funding these programs or are these out of your office? Do, do you mean weatherization in general or what's being proposed? Well, you just, just I, guess, I guess both, because I, I, it's administered by the county but we're funding it, is that? So weatherization services are normally federally funded and they get state funding. So our current infrastructure, that's where dollars flow from. What we're proposing is for Ann Arbor, those who are eligible for weatherization service, of which there are many, that we would be able to add stack funding on top of that to be able to go further and have deeper energy reductions and move them closer to decarbonization. Households that aren't, you, you can't spend that much money for federal guidelines. So what would be the eligibility for people the, I think the, the county weatherization eligibility is 200% of federal poverty level uh, for weatherization services. And the program you envision would be similar? It would be, although we've been talking with Jen Hall about possibly expanding that to be 80% AMI, since poverty can look very different in Ann Arbor than other parts of the county. Okay, thank you. Further discussion of the amendment, Councilmember Dish. Just a very short observation that um, one of the things that the that scholarship in this area shows is that typically lower income people pay, they have higher electricity bills for houses that are typically smaller than the average. So because their houses are older and they're not well insulated and as, as anyone who's tried to do this to an older house knows, it's really expensive to retrofit a house and make it better sealed and retain heat better. And so um, I think that it is very important, just as we talk about a, di a digital divide, that there not be a sustainability divide and that we address the energy burden as we address other burdens. And if equity is to be the center of our sustainability program, which if it's not, then we are not Ann Arbor. This is an important place to invest a substantial amount of funds. Further discussion of the amendment. On the amendment, the amendment to 
remove $60,000 from the low income sustainability grants program and supplement it with uh, the two referenced uh, nonprofits. Uh, on that amendment to the amendment, roll call vote please, starting with Councilmember Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song, absent. Councilmember Graham? No. Councilmember Rodina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? No. Councilmember Iyer? No. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? No. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? Yes. Councilmember Dish? No. Motion fails. Further discussion of the main motion? I have Councilmember Adina on the queue for the main motion. Pardon me, it's uh, not on the main motion, my apologies, on the, amend on, the, uh, on the amendment to the main motion, that is to say on, on the main amendment number three. <laughs> this was in response actually to uh, a question that Councilmember Hayner asked quite some time ago actually at this point about um, the African American Cultural and Historical Museum and, and I looked back and um, this would not be a replacement of that space. Um, the original plan, it said the ground floor is to include an art gallery and small business incubator supporting BIPOC business entrepreneurship. So it was part of that. Um, it goes on to the additional, the, the development team also plans to work with the African American Cultural and Historical Museum of Washtenaw County to incorporate art and design that honors and celebrates the historically black neighborhood and business district. So this was all part of the original plan and this is just putting funding behind that. For the discussion of the main amendment, Councilmember Romlawi. Um, I came into this meeting tonight believing I would support this amendment, either this amendment or the one that I had uh, co-sponsored. Um, unfortunately, I will not support this. We took $160,000 away from people who are suffering from addiction and are dying on a daily basis to fund programs that, yes, are important, but currently people are not dying from. I usually try not to take things so serious at this table any longer that it makes me physically sick. But this is an instance where I'm physically sick. Hope you all rest easy tonight. Councilmember Griswold. Yes, I'm very concerned about the mental health crisis in this community. And while we have a mental health millage, I thought that the 40-40-20 was basically set in stone. But what I heard the mayor say tonight is that a resolution doesn't necessarily have to be followed in the next year. So I guess I want to apologize to the community for not attempting to provide more funding for the mental health crisis uh, by bringing forward a resolution tonight. Thank you. Further discussion of the main amendment? Uh, I'll Council Member Grand. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to thank um, the co-sponsors who I think there was a lot of um, good work and discussion and with, with staff um, for helping guide and, and answer questions. Um, these, are, these are not 
easy decisions and there are ones where um, where, where it's, I think, normal to have disagreement. Um, I look at this and I, I really do think that, that there's a lot of good for the community in this, in this allocation. I think it's in line with council policy. Um, I also want to thank, thank members of the community who pushed us to really um, think differently about how we, we spend this money. Um, and I'll be bringing another amendment forward to talk about how we can still capture some of that important work around around sustainability. Um, but I, I really, um, some of the things that I saw were also that, that really made me feel optimistic about, about the future of the city, not only um, collaboration with council, but also with staff and how um, supportive staff were of one another's work at the city. Um, and I really got to see staff championing one another um, and, and really grateful for the fact that they got to work with, with such talented and, and compassionate, dedicated colleagues. So, um, so thanks for that window into, into the workings of our city. I um, appreciate it. It makes me really optimistic about our future. Further discussion? Yes. Councilmember Nelson. I think I... Um, the thing that troubles me most about this amendment um, is the rationalization that you know we can change our mind at any time and that the difference between this and other resolutions um, is that people didn't rely on it. Um, when I take a vote at this table, I actually do expect people to rely on it. Um, and I, that's why I publicize the votes that we take at this table because it is so easy to mischaracterize and make broad statements that are inaccurate about what happened or what people stand for. Um, I will not be supporting this amendment just because every single person at this table voted in favor of having these marijuana excise tax funds be closely tied to a set of goals that are a couple of the uses in this amendment are a really far stretch. I mean, I, it, it really isn't a connection. And so, um, I guess I, I would urge my colleagues to consider carefully that when, when we vote at this table, whether or not there was a glossy postcard that went out promoting the fact that we voted at this table, um, our votes should count for something, that we stand for something. Thank you. Council Member Dish. Okay. I couldn't remember if I'd spoken twice. I so, don't believe so. Um, in um, 1985, 1995, in Chicago, there was a heat wave that went way over 100 degrees and many 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 people died 700 people died and many of the folks who died were living in the englewood neighborhood which is on the southwest side of chicago and so um to say that people are not dying of their energy burdens and their inability to weatherize and their inability pro to properly cool their homes it's 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 actually not not right and I say that, but I also want to, um, I don't, I, I want to acknowledge that um, I think that we all have shared commitments around this table to the same issues and that this discussion has been a good one. There, we are clearly reading the resolution differently. I'm reading the social justice purposes of it strongly, um, but I, I value and respect the work that every colleague has put into thinking about how to spend these monies. 
Further discussion? Councilmember Briggs. Yeah, my, my statements are very much aligned with what Councilmember Dish just said. I think it's, you know, and Councilmember Grand in terms of, it, obviously we're gonna, it's important to debate how these funds get used. Um, I think that um, in terms of uh, how I'm reading our, our resolution last year, I feel comfortable that this is aligned with our resolution that was passed last year, and that's why I'm comfortable supporting it. Um, I think how this plays out as different departments look at how they can advance different initiatives to be aligned with it um, is interesting and important to support. And I think we have taken a large chunk of this and put it towards deflection. Um, but we've also supported the development of, of other programs within our city um, that um, I see as in line with our resolution. So I'm excited to, to see this move forward. and. Um, um, Further discussion? Is that Councilor Ayer? Councilmember Ayer. Thank you. Um, you know, just a, a word about the amendments um, that, um, that were voted down. I, for context, uh, because I didn't speak to them, so I'm just gonna take a minute. Um, you know, in our county, social services agencies receive funding via our new um, Human Services Partnership um, with the county's Office of Economic and, and Community and Economic Development. Um, and they do that through a competitive grant process. Um, I believe grants are, requests are being reviewed actually um, currently. Um, and so it just, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and it doesn't seem right, frankly, to pick organizations that we like um, outside of that process that's been years in the making and, um, you know, is supposed to be um, done in an equitable manner. So, um, you know, to me, I, I don't see us having taken anything away from that. We, we, we are funding um, mental health uh, and drug uh, addiction programs in our community. Um, and. We are also, with this money, uh, I think, uh, going to be able to do a lot of good uh, and, and try some new things uh, that are going to be beneficial to our city, um, really beneficial. And I, I, I view the, uh, all, every line item in this amendment as uh, being well within the spirit of the resolution that we passed previously for this uh, excise tax money. So I'm really happy to vote for it, and thank you to everyone who worked on it. Further discussion? Roll call vote, please, starting with Councilmember Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? No. Councilmember Song? Absent. Councilmember Grand? Yes. Councilmember Rodina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? No. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Mlawi? Absolutely no. Councilmember Hayner? No. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. Further discussion of the main motion as amended. Councilmember Hayner. Thank you. I'm going to speak broadly to, to this before the other amendments are, are set forward. And if I go over a few seconds, please give me the courtesy of not cutting me off. This has been the least cooperative, at least collaborative, and least public budget process I've experienced in my time on council and in my seven years prior to that observing it. 
in that, that decade before this, 2013 to 2023, our population grew by about 7,800 people. Our budget grew by 177 million. We went from $348 million to looking at staring down $525 million. We spent $3,000 per person in our community in 2013, and we're prepared to spend $4,200 per person in our community in 2023. That's an increase of, depending on which um, inflationary calculator you use, 20 to 40% higher per person. Now, I don't know anybody who feels like our roads are 40% better or our services are 20 to 40% better or so on. Now, the, yes, there are some new programs, but when you have a 6% population growth and that's accompanied by a 17% staff growth here at City Hall, going from 693 to 811 staff members, something's out of sync with our budget process. Perhaps the county, the state, or the university needs to pick up some of the slack because we're paying way too much. It does not cost 20 to 40% more to provide the same level of services. Ask yourself, what programs are we funding for that extra amount? Now, many of us in our community, in fact, the broad majority of our community do not receive the full benefit commensurate with the $4,200 that they are accounted for. And that's just the way social programs are. We understand that social housing, deflection programs, uh, you know, climate action programs, all these things that we do, few people really take advantage of that. They don't get their $4,200 worth out of this city. And that's just the way it's going to be. And that's one of the reasons in seeing this trend that I have yet to vote for a budget. I have yet to put my name behind one of our city budgets, and it's not going to happen with this one either, because it's the wrong direction for our community to spend, 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 and then the claim is, it's okay because we're going to build our way out of it. But building our way out of it doesn't take into any consideration the quality of life of the people that live here now. And so... For that reason and more, I don't, I don't support this budget wholly before us, and we're going to nitpick over our amendments, but the writing's on the wall for those, because this is a body that wouldn't even hear, turn to their backs on four amendments that I brought to the ARPA funding a couple weeks back. So I don't think there should be any um, misunderstandings about how this goes down at this table. I think we all know what's going to happen already, and I think it was witnessed by that previous amendment. So I have never felt like... I have less of a say in what's going on with our community, and I know people want to snicker about it, but uh, that's just the way it is, and you have created this anti-collaborative, anti-sharing um, environment. This is, the, this is the least open budget process I've ever seen, and we're spending the most. 525 million people. Council Member? For the discussion of the main motion, Council Member Dish. I want to point out that the city, this city, is undertaking massive infrastructure projects in stormwater and water treatment. That's one of the causes of our budgets being so high. And I'd also like to point out that, yes, one can argue that few people take advantage of social housing or supportive services. 
But it's also true that few people living in multifamily housing are able to take advantage of compost or recycling that our single family homes enjoy because they don't have access to it. And so, and those are much more costly programs than the ones we're talking about tonight. So I would, I would contest the suggestion that the city is falling short on providing general public goods. I think unlike many cities, we are holding ourselves accountable and responsible to providing general public goods and to addressing equity. Councilmember, Councilmember Grant. Thank you. Um, like to get us back on track and move um, Amendment Two. Um, Is there a second? Second by Councilmember Iyer. Councilmember Grant. Thank you. Um, I know we've already heard from from Dr. Stoltz. So um, this was this amendment came from um, a, a place of, of you know seeing that, that Dr. Stoltz in her office, OSI, had um, initially there were plans for a pretty sizable allocation um, for these low-income sustainability grants. Um, it was my hope that, that there was a source of money um, that we could use that, that turned out not to be there, um, that um, we could shift in shifting um, to make room for deflection and other worthy programs. Um, that we could we could cover that cost. Unfortunately, that that wasn't true, and I I want to thank um, Ms. Prashant for her walking me through that process, um, and the and the co-sponsors. So so while I'm you know this certainly was not the first choice, um, and I do see that there's um, I see the word fund ends up there. Oh no, that's that's okay. Um, that that. I am moving to to take a you know one time allocation of two hundred forty thousand dollars from the general fund fund balance um, to enable this program to go forward. Um, and and when I talked earlier about about the you know staff championing one another, um, I do want to say that you know both Dr. Schultz and Attorney Slay were really supportive of one another's work, um, and. And I know that that we often, um, I think there are people who believe that that Dr. Stoltz is so brilliant that sometimes she can just create money out of air. But unfortunately, um, even as as brilliant as, and as creative as she is, um, I I still want to recognize um, the efforts that she's making, the importance of this work. So um, that's where this is coming from. Further discussion, Councilor Griswold. Uh, yeah, we have a second. Um, I have a question from the city administrator. Um, I'm just a little confused that we received 24 million in ARPA funds, over a million in the marijuana funds, an extra million dollars from the state. And given all of that additional revenue, why are we spending down? our fund balance and how much more we'll be, be spending it down if we add this 240000 Don't we already have uh, a proposal to spend over $2 million of fund equity? I'm not sure I followed your question, but I'll defer to Ms. Prashan. 
Oh, okay. I guess the term general fund fund balance is right. that the same as fund equity. Sort of our yeah. savings yeah. account. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, okay. So my general question is why do we need to borrow when we've received so many millions of dollars of one-time revenue this year? So the American Rescue Plan funds are not funds that were added to the general fund. They were right. at one-time allocation that council voted on various uh, projects that received funding. So it wasn't an eligible project to receive this funding. Oh, okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm just in, in a broad scope. I'm trying to be able to respond to my constituents to understand why we're not living within our budget. And it looks like we're... In, in actuality, we are living within our budget. Our recurring expenditures in a general fund are lower than our recurring revenues. Yes. Therefore, um, this wasn't included in the recommended budget. Therefore, we would have to use fund balance as a one-time to give the funding to the program. We wouldn't give it recurring. Right, but it would be a one-time deduction from our fund equity. Okay. Just from, just from a budgeting standpoint, yes. Yes, okay, thanks. Mr. Mayor, if I, if I could just add a point. The, the one thing that's been missing from the discussion uh, that goes to Councilmember Griswold's point. Normally, we would be asking if you're going to make changes to the proposed budget, what are you offsetting if you're adding things in? There's no offsetting taking place. So the assumption is everything that's in stays in, but you still want to spend money on Project X. Your option available to cover it is to go to the fund balance. And that's what we're doing. Oh, okay. Thanks for that explanation. I I thought we were always told in the past that there always had to be an offset that didn't include the fund balance. Further discussion of the amendments, Councilmember Ramali. Um, it's, it's just it's just wild that we're going to be drawing down our fund balance. Um, we're entering an extraordinarily prolonged period of high inflation. We're going into it on the lower end of the recommended fund balance. We have a recession looming. And yet, we're, we're going to reduce our fund balance going in to what looks like a very turbulent time coming forward. You all are spending money right now, but in a couple of years, what's gonna be happening is cuts. I don't believe our fund balance could be characterized as a healthy one. I'd rather see a fund balance right now closer to 20% going into the period that we're about to head into. And to reduce our fund balance going into what we're going into, I think is completely irresponsible. <laughs> 
I won't be voting for this. I think it's completely irresponsible. Further discussion, Councilmember Hainer. So this this funding of OSI programs from the general fund balance, if if a climate action millage is passed, is that going to replace this money? Are we going to put that money back? Or are we just kind of pre-funding the anticipation that the voters of Ann Arbor will see the word climate action and say yes? And so we don't want to wait for that to happen or what? And so, I mean, I guess this program is that important that we want to fund it now from our fund balance. And I agree that taking a quarter million out of the fund balance might seem like chump change or whatever to some people, but you know, 17%, I think we're supposed to be what, between 15 and 20% or something. So we're in the range of recommended general, you know, general good practices for community, but you know, we're not the low range like we have been before, but I, I don't, I don't like the notion of it. I know money doesn't come from nowhere, but, um, you know, thank, all I'll say, I guess the last thing I'm going to say about any of this, I, I'm not going to support this because, you know, again, and I know, I know it makes you ill, my colleague at the other end of the table, but, and, you know, and rightly so, but, you know, ratings on the wall for this stuff. When you bring five sponsors to an amendment, you know, you got six votes, even though someone is absent. And even though three of our colleagues weren't here for the public hearing on the general budget at the last session. So the writing's on the wall here. You know, I'm not even sure why I'm here anymore. I might even just split. I mean, Councilwoman Song's not here. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to support this because it's going to pass. And so there's people who don't believe that this is a crisis. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not among them, but uh, they certainly deserve a voice at this table, just like everyone else in our community. So I'm going to say no to this. Further discussion of the amendment? Councilmember Briggs. Yes, Councilmember Hainer is correct that I was not here at the last meeting. I was at my son's graduate college graduation. Um, and and Councilmember Song is home taking care of her um, son who has COVID. Um, occasionally we need to miss council meetings. Um, we heard from Ms. Prashan that um, our budget is still aligned with this. Obviously, we typically um, look to make offsets, but I would urge folks, if they don't think this is a priority, to take a look at the IPCC um, last report that came out. Um, you can go to the Energy Commission's um, last meeting. There's a presentation on this, and there's an attachment um, that provides a summary of that. The reality is climate change, um, this is one of the biggest issues facing our biggest issue facing our world right now. Um, we need to plan aggressively for, for this. The report suggests that energy efficiency investments must increase two to seven times what we're at right now. This is a small investment moving in that direction. Um, it's, an imp it's imperative for our community to be doing this work. Um, and um, we need to be funding this. Um, this is a one-time investment. If our climate millage passes, um, we may be able to move to that. But right now, we don't have that. Councilmember Thank you. Um, yes, I, I think we all can agree on the existential crisis that we're we're in right now. Uh, how we go about it? Obviously, I don't think we have uh, consensus. Uh, 
Um, a little earlier, we said we didn't have $100,000 for the uh, Public Works Apprentice Program, and we had to take it out of the marijuana excise money. But here we're drawing down the general fund by $240,000 for this purpose. We have the money if we want to. It's kind of like our federal government. They always have money for wars. Always money for war. Is there money for education or health care or housing? No. Sorry. War? Sure. We got money. Look what's going on in Ukraine now. We're going we're gonna to sending billions of dollars in, in arms overnight. <laughs> this body, on a much smaller scale, is guilty of the same things. We don't have money for this. We don't have money for that. But we got money when it comes to other things. We don't, we haven't, you know, the TC1, look at TC1. Did, did we ask the developers to incorporate sustainability in the development of those new developers? No. The market's going to provide. That's what I heard. I share the sentiments of my colleague, unfortunately, that this budget process was like <laughs> kind of a, a really abbreviated version of anything I've ever experienced before. And I'm guilty of it, just like this whole body. There were zero questions on the budget this year. Last, the last, uh, I Cap believe it was the last Member. council meeting, there were no questions. Council Member. Further discussion of amendment number two? Council Member Rutina. Thank you, Mayor. Um, to set the record straight, there were questions submitted on the budget. Um, they were, they're all posted for folks to review publicly and answers are there as well. Um, I am gonna support this amendment uh, tonight. I, I, um, despite the characterization that the comparisons to the, the federal government spending money on war, I, this is a direct investment in low-income households here in our community. Um, I think this is exactly the type of, of program that we would aspire to be uh, investing in. And uh, I think so highly of the work that the Office of Sustainability and Innovation is, is doing in terms of equity and really centering the needs of uh, low-income and marginalized communities in their work. Um, that I actually can't think of a, a better <laughs> office, and actually all of our offices, but um, it, Dr. Stoltz was literally just in the Bryant neighborhood again uh, this weekend uh, and stopped by my home to borrow a ladder and uh, took it down to the Bryant Center on her cargo bike uh, to, to do this work because OSI is consistently in the Bryant neighborhood working with the Bryant Center, um, helping low-income households and, um, and families of color in the community and in the neighborhood. Um, this is work that um, their office is committed to, but also, as my colleague Councilmember Briggs pointed out, that is critical to our work uh, in the fight against climate change and if we're going to take that work seriously. And so, um, you know, I, I supported the amendment in the last that would have cut partial funding for this um, because I actually would have supported making it whole in this amendment. Um, 
because we are actually, we can look at the numbers, we are within our range of a healthy fund balance. And this is an opportunity for us to uh, make a small investment in really critical work and, in, and toward our values. And so I'll be supporting this. Thank you. Further discussion? Uh, I'm looking forward to supporting this amendment, and I'm very grateful for the uh, outstanding work done by OSI. Uh, this amendment, to my, uh, to my analysis, reflects uh, uh, an investment in, uh, in our seniors, uh, in, uh, an investment in our low-income households, uh, our BIPOC uh, community members. Uh, it will uh, help ensure that uh, the work that we are doing, the work that we are uh, hopefully accelerating with respect to carbon neutrality and climate action, uh, continues to have on the ground here today benefits for residents. Uh, that's what we're working to do. That's what this, uh, this amendment will help achieve. Further discussion? Councilmember Hainer. Sometimes when you look at like a nonprofit, you know, like you do an analysis of a nonprofit and, and you look at their 990s and you say, you know, I love the work they're doing, but their director is getting paid 200,000 a year or whatever. And I guess the thing that would make me wholeheartedly support this is if I knew how much of it was going upstairs to a desk and how much of it was going in a poor person's house. And I'm not sure that we, when we look at our staff and the increase in staff numbers that are part of this whole budget that we're talking about in this too, this amendment, I don't know if that answer is in there or not, but it certainly would behoove us to consider how much is really going in somebody's house and how much is going upstairs in the office to moderate the program, to put people in the field, to do whatever kind of work has to be done to bring get this program up and running and fully effective. And I think that's the kind of question that's going to surround OSI when they come for a millage. And so is that something that anybody would like to answer? How much of this is going to be in field work and how much is going to be in office work? Or this quarter million plus whatever we gave them out of the marijuana money. So what is it now? It's a 310 or something they got for this program? Same program, right? So it's not 250, it's 250 plus 60 from the previous amendment. So of that $310,000, how much of that's going to be, oh, well, so $300,000. How much is going to be Mr. Dahoney? sealed, you know? <laughs> I mean, are we going to, I mean, because $300,000, I, I get 350 bucks for doing a plate seal. I buy the kit, I come in your house, I tape it off, and I Councilmember? spray. That's a lot of plate sealing if it all goes out in the field, <laughs> right? Council. Rim band. Dr. No. Stoltz is, should be still available. She's the best person to answer the question. Yeah, all of the money goes to the grant program. We're going to administer it with current staffing, so none of this would be the way we've, we've modeled it. Would what's, be the what's the average grant size? Well, it depends on exactly what we're granting it out for. Right. You just identified one thing. If someone needs energy efficiency work, 
the grant might just be $1,500 to do a project where someone else may need more substantive work. So we have to figure out those specifics of what the average grant size is and what we'll administer. But DVO sense the Aging in Place Efficiently program, that's a pretty holistic initiative. And the average grant that goes out through that is 7,500. Thank you. For the discussion of the amendment. Roll call vote, please, starting with Council Member Griswold. Council Member Griswold? No. Council Member Song, absent. Council Member Graham? Yes. Council Member Rodina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Council Member Iyer? Yes. Council Member Nelson? Yes. Council Member Briggs? Yes. Council Member Omali? No. Council Member Hayner? No. Council Member Dish? Yes. Motion carries. Further discussion of the main motion. Councilmember Grand. Thank you. Um, I'd like to move at least what's what's listed in our packet is the final amendment, Amendment 4, which is to add um, one FTE for an assistant city attorney position and appropriate funding for software replacement. Is there um, a second? Second by Councilmember Iyer. Councilmember Grand. Um, I think this is pretty straightforward. We do have our experts right um, on hand, if I think anyone has any questions. Um, but I think we all know, um, working very closely with the city attorney's office, that um, there are tremendous demands on their time, um, that they are constantly having to run a number of um, legal issues that are, that are discussed in, in, in our community. And if we look even at conversations today, um, that I've been, you know, participating in or, or watching around, you know, what's going to happen now that the Biden administration ha is encouraging us to have um, more progressive policies in land use. While we're going to need folks in our attorney's office to help us work through what that means in our community, and I think we could all come up with with many examples. Um, so, this is just reflective of of our staffing needs and and I would say um, as council members much of it is our fault further discussion of the amendment councilmember Ramlawi then Rodina well here's an amendment I actually can support um, with my conversations with uh, our new city attorney um, I was um, told of, of the challenges she has faced in taking on the role and in the department and uh, taking on, taking over um, something that the previous uh, city attorney had, had been there for 20 years and he had his, his, his way of doing things and it, and it worked extremely well. Um, but uh, fast forward, uh, we're here today um, and uh, I know that uh, our city attorney's office is, is critical to the function of, of our city government in so many different ways. Folks that are at this table know not much gets done without it going through the city attorney's office. Um, that being said, uh, public works, land use, uh, you know, our prosecutor's office, the list goes on and on. Um, there needs to be more resources placed there, and in fact, I suggested that a resolution come forward here at this budget time for the appropriate funding to, to, to address the shortcomings that currently exist and not to wait for a mid-year budget amendment. 
and to come to us right now and ask for one, well, it only takes six votes. So I support this. Um, I would like to see um, her succeed, and you can only do that by giving the resources to the to the office. And I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor. Thank you. Mr. Dahani? Thank you, Mayor. Uh, what the, the city attorney is asking for, we actually would have included it in the proposed budget. It's just that she didn't get here in time for the deadline that we had to turn it in. So we anticipated that uh, once she got here and had an opportunity to take a look at the operation, that she would be coming forward with the initial list of needs which she has done that's expressed in the amendment. Uh, but both the CFO and I uh, were supportive of it and would have included it in the proposed budget had we had it in time. Further discussion? Councilor Griswold? Yeah, I agree with what um, Councilmember Grant said. Some of the overage and the inefficiency in the attorney's office is the result of council dynamics. Uh, there are a lot of other issues, though, and normally I would not support an additional FTE, but I do want to be supportive of the new city attorney. I have great confidence in her, and maybe moving forward in a year or two, we can streamline the attorney's office. Uh, we have excellent attorneys, but we have an issue with a, the culture, and I find in many cases that the attorneys are stepping up and uh, filling in for the deficiencies in other areas, sometimes just due to staff turnover, a shortage of staff. Uh, one of the examples is when we were having streetlight issues, it was one of the attorneys who stepped up and, and tried to resolve the issue, and I'm very appreciative for that. However, we also need to make sure that we're working in our appropriate roles. Uh, another example that resulted in um, wasteful spending and a lot of time was the Gelman plume issue. Uh, thankfully, we now are moving towards an EPA evaluation, but hundreds of hours were spent trying to I guess go against what the public wanted and introducing resolutions for new council members to support. Um, I, I just want to move forward and I'm confident that our new city attorney is going to be able to do that. So I will support this. Thank you. Further discussion of the amendments? All in favor? Opposed? I'm sorry, Councilmember. Uh, I'm. I'm Satisfied if the record states that I voted no. All right. Uh, motion passes with 10 council members present, nine voting the affirmative. Council member Hainer in opposition. Further discussion of the main motion? Council, uh, as amended, Council member Briggs. I was actually raising my hand on the last one just to make a quick comment about the attorney's office. Um, just briefly, I just wanted to say I appreciate the work that they've done in the past, appreciate the work that they're going to do in the future. Um, and um, I'm glad to provide, have provided them resources. Further discussion? Councilmember Nelson. 
I just want to express um, satisfaction that we have funded the deflection program and also hope for the future that if we come up with more ambitious and creative ideas that the funding will be there and that we won't have um, different ideas about shaving off um, other other pieces of the marijuana excise tax funds. Further discussion, Councilmember Adina. Thank you. I just want to really briefly thank uh, staff for all of the hard work that went into this and um, the countless hours of, of interacting with us and um, members of the community and others to get us to where we are today. And so um, I know that this is a, a really big lift for, for staff and just appreciate all of the time that they put into this process. So thank you. Further discussion? Councilor Griswold. Um, I just want to point out for the viewing audience that um, we are also not contributing $4 million of additional funds to our pension. Not that we have to, but this is something that we have done in recent years. And so this is another $4 million of revenue that we're spending um, on other needs. And some of that is reasonable. Sustainability is a global crisis, and we need to be balancing the needs of our community members with what we are providing and what the appropriate level of government is for those services. In some cases, it's the federal government and the state government that should be provided providing services towards sustainability. And I know that Ann Arbor is taking the lead and we have set policy to do that, but we also have to realize that our public uh, has a limit to how much they can, can actually contribute to this special program. Councilmember Grand. Thank you. Um, I just want to thank staff, and I, I really do want to um, make a plug for the process that we went through this year that was not having um, as many in-person presentations. I think um, that was incredibly helpful to be able to watch these things on our on our own time. And um, so thank you to Mr. Dahoney for that. Um, when, I, when we first talked about this at admin, I, I think I said that... Um, I hope that we would be piloting that to permanence, and I, I hope that we will be piloting that that to permanence. I think it's it um, it's more accessible to the public. It's more flexible for us, and and that that's really appreciated. Um, I just think you know, for for having our our new city administrator coming in and um, and with not a lot of time, you know this this is a a terrific budget. I I do. Um, just feedback I've, I've been receiving from staff and, and people in the community and, and having a new city attorney, I, I just do feel a real sense of optimism um, for what we're doing going forward. And um, Councilman. Sorry. And, uh, and I just, I, I think it was a great process. Thanks. Councilmember Romlawi. Thank you. Um, I know it's been a, another night, a night of tough uh, discussions, especially for me. Uh, I do thank the staff for the work they have provided and they put into this. This is the single biggest vote we make every year. Um, I don't share all the optimism some of my colleagues do, and it's due in part of the what's on the horizon. 
Uh, we got a memo from our city administrator earlier this year describing some of the infrastructure work that has been delayed because of uh, escalating contractor costs. Um, we didn't address those uh, here tonight. That bill will come due. And when it comes due, it's gonna be more painful. Uh, I will be supporting this tonight. Uh, I do believe that the public deserves a little bit more transparency from their government. I know those work sessions are painful at the beginning of the year to come and listen to the presentations. Sure, it makes our jobs easier, staying home and watching it on a video, but I'm not sure the public interests are best served when we do things in such a way where we can answer questions and ask questions and do so in a public format. Uh, this body does not get together, but only twice a month. It's very limiting to understand each other and to work with each other on such an extreme limited basis. Uh, some of us have the pleasure of uh, more collaboration. If you seemed, if you happen to find yourself <laughs> with that group, uh, others are not. And so I hope as we go forward, we can return back to the format where we have more public discussion and transparency on how tax dollars are spent. Sure, they're on YouTube videos. Sure, the public can go, go and witness them. But the public should hear what their elected officials have to say about it. And uh, I'm just one voice, and I'll continue to be that voice. Thank you. Councilmember Hainer. Thanks, Mr. Mayor. So every budget cycle, I ask myself what my constituents ask me, what can you do to help me? What can we do? What can we do? It costs so much to live here in Ann Arbor. My taxes are so high and so on. And, and so I would look at this document before us and think, what have I done to make it affordable living? And I don't, I don't see it in here. Maybe go apply for a low income sustainability grant. I guess is what I'll tell people. And the other thing I'll tell people is that the social, our part of the social burden, the city's part, we collect it for everybody else, right? But the vast majority of your millage money is not going to the city of Ann Arbor. It's going to public schools. It's going to the Washtenaw uh, County Community College. It's going to Washtenaw County and other things. And so that's something to keep in mind when you say, wow, 500 million to half a billion dollar budget, and that's not even the all of it, right? So we spend a lot in this community. We spend a lot of money. And some people think it's worth it and some people don't. I, I don't. And I'd also, finally, I'd like to say thank God for Headley and Prop A, because you think we have a wealth disparity now in our community Imagine if it was uncapped at the state level and the assessor's office could say whatever they wanted and Ms. Prashan could calculate whatever she wanted. 
whatever this body wanted, I imagine it would make us number one in the country in wealth disparity. We're really, we really, we're a very wealth community divided along wealth. We care for the folks at the very bottom. Most people are at the top, but there's a lot of us in the middle. A lot, a lot more than you think at this table. And I don't think we're doing enough for those people. And I'm, you know, Biden's uh, policies of unlocking development are not going to help either. So I'm sorry to hear that being embraced so rapidly. Thanks. Um, just a couple reactions from this evening. Um, you know, there were a lot of feelings expressed at this table. Um, and and I think that's I think that's um, unfortunate because because I think everyone is is coming to this to this evening with the intent of trying to pass a budget that that provides terrific services for people in our community is reflective of our values. And I would hope that that those in particular who've expressed strong feelings and have a very pessimistic view towards the city um, and have complained about collaboration or have treated us like we're unsophisticated because we disagree with them. You know, trust has to be built in order to collaborate. And those decisions about, about who to reach out to are based on um, past actions and behavior and trust, and that's earned. Um, and, and elections have consequences. And that's based on, and, and voters make decisions based on their evaluation of decisions made at this table and of behavior. Um, so, so I think it's really important to, to, be, to have a little bit of, of self-reflection in this process and understand um, that, that when there are five sponsors that come from resolution, it means that people work together and that there, that there was some you know, support and alignment. And that's not a bad thing. Um, and it, it really shouldn't be criticized. And if, if, you're, if you're having strong feelings, maybe you should look back at your behavior and think about why you're not trusted and why people aren't reaching out to you. Yes, um, I just wanted to make sure that I um, thank staff for all the work that they've done on this budget. It's um, a great budget. We have um, new city administrator and um, new CFO, and um, this you know, this is a we have a biennial budget, and there's relatively small tweaks. But I'm impressed to see how much work that we're doing and what's incorporated in this in this budget and new activities. Um, this is you know I think we should be really proud of what we're doing in our community and how our um, not only do we have a balanced budget, but we no longer have a um, 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 thank you, deficit. <laughs> blanking on that name, um, and um, a structural deficit. Thank you. So, but if you look on page two and three of the um, of the budget that was pre presented to us, it really um, articulates how this budget is um, also aligning very well with our priorities in terms of moving forward. Our human capital, um, investment in our road bond, um, 
water investments in our water treatment plan, affordable housing, sustainability, pedestrian safety, winter sidewalk clearance, um, on and on. We are advancing a lot of initiatives in this budget. Um, and honestly, we talked about a very small tweaks to the budget tonight in terms of a few budgetary amendments. I didn't hear a whole lot proposed at this table from, the, from some of those folks that are disappointed in this budget and not a whole lot of questions either. So um, super excited that um, we've got, um, you know, we are in such a strong position financially in our community at this point um, and advancing our priorities. So thank you so much to staff who's put a lot of effort into this. Mayor, I, th I think your mic is off. And it was all so good. Uh, it, uh, it starts months ago, uh, and they've been working hard and diligently to get it to us uh, in, uh, in April and then to let the members of the public uh, review it and comment upon it and for us to consider it and tweak where we will. Um, we have uh, changed it modestly, but in the main, it continues as was. Uh, a budget that seeks and achieves uh, improvement with respect to the fundamental city services that it is our duty, obligation, and pleasure uh, to provide. Um, it, uh, it improves, uh, it expands, uh, improves funding, uh, improves services with respect, rather, uh, to, uh, to, to roads with the, the road bond that we will have upcoming. Uh, we make investments in our water infrastructure. Uh, we're improving uh, safety services. We are looking uh, through the ARPA work tonight to uh, expand uh, you know, in a an response program. Uh, it also hits quality of life improvements as well, as has been made plain. Uh, it emphasizes affordable housing. It emphasizes uh, equity and it emphasizes uh, sustainability and furtherance of uh, our A20 program, uh, honoring the moral imperative for governments on all levels to do all that they can uh, with respect to the, uh, the climate crisis. Uh, it's a budget that uh, is, uh, is practical, it's progressive, and it's something that I think uh, the residents can, uh, can take, uh, take pride in. Their city is seeking to do the work on their behalf uh, today and on behalf of uh, Ann Arborites tomorrow. Mr. Dahoney. Ms. Pashan, are you there? I am. Can we put we can, have we have no issues. We can we can put this party to bed is what you're telling us? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I'm good. All right. Further discussion. Roll call vote, please, starting with Councilmember Griswold. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song, absent. Councilmember Graham? Yes. Councilmember Rodino? Yes. 
Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? No. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Motion carries. Ms. Carr, do we have a closed session today? No, Mr. Mayor, we do not. Thank you. <laughs> we have before us the clerk's report of communications, petitions, and referrals. May I have a motion, please, to approve the clerk's report. Moved by Councilmember Griswold, second by Councilmember Grand. Discussion of the clerk's report. All in favor? Opposed? The clerk's report is approved. We have communications from our city attorney. I just want to thank you for your support of the amendment. Um, I have witnessed your great passion um, in all of you. And we look forward as an office to continue to serve you as a body and the community. So thank you so much. No other comments. Thank you. Uh, we now come to public comment general time. Public comment general time is an opportunity for members of the public to speak to council community about matters of municipal interest. To speak at public comment general time, one need not have signed up in advance. Speakers will have three minutes in which to speak, so please pay close attention to the time. Our clerk will notify you when 30 seconds are remaining and when your time has expired. When your time has expired, please conclude your remarks and cede the floor. Ms. Beaudry, is there anyone who would like to speak at public comment? If you are online and wish to speak at public comment, please do so by entering star nine, star nine now. Caller with the phone number ending in 544. Press star six to unmute your phone. Hi, this is Councilmember Lin Song calling in. I'm so sorry to miss another meeting again due to COVID, except I myself am not sick, but my uh, oldest is. But I appreciate the work that's been done tonight. I just want to point out that at the next meeting on June 6th, uh, Teresa Gelati from the Office of Economic Development will be presenting an update on our human services partnership, um, reviewing the grants and RFP process, which we review in partnership with the U of M School of Social Work that has provided grant evaluation services as well. Um, a reminder that the city has already allocated 1.2 million from the general fund and 1.6 million from ARPA to, for this work compared to the 1.3 million from the county. I, I totally understand the desire to provide additional funds to agencies and encourage council members to serve on boards and donate to better understand the day-to-day -day work um, that benefits individuals in our community um, and that's funded by not uh, by individuals and municipalities um, i want to thank you all for your concern and care as our family tries to um, as my oldest tries to recover from covid and I, I hope to see you soon thank you Michelle Hughes, do you have a comment? Hi, um, I just wanted to talk about the uh, the uh, resolution earlier, asking staff to work with U of M to ask them to build housing. And I think that um, it's you know it's one thing to have our staff to devote a bunch of staff time to lobbying the University of Michigan to build more housing, but if we think that it's a good idea to build more housing and that building more housing is something that will help our community, then one thing we could do is to have the city stop preventing people from building from building more housing on 70% of the land in the city, um, which is currently zoned for 
single family zoning. And um, if the city were to simply stop preventing people from, from building apartments there, then we might also get some housing done without having to spend a whole bunch of staff time to lobby people to build that housing. Um, if we don't think that building new housing is a good solution to the housing affordability crisis, then I don't know why we would want to spend the staff time asking U of M to build more housing because what would be the point? Um, if we want more housing built, we just have to stop, we just have to stop preventing people from doing it. That is my comment for tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor, there are no other callers on the line with their hands up. Seeing no one, public comment is closed. Are there communications from council? Councilman Griswold. I want to thank community member John Katarski. Uh, he sent us a very eloquent letter thanking staff and explaining how exceptional they were. And he's absolutely right. And I think with a strong leadership team, our staff will be able to excel without working quite so hard because it's, uh, it's unreasonable for them to continue to work at the level that they are at this point. Uh, I also want to acknowledge Teacher Barton, who spoke to us at the last meeting and mentioned that I have spoken to the police chief. I know another council member has already spoken to him, and we are committed to transparency at City Hall. And lastly, I want to thank Brian Steglitz and his staff. I had a meeting, and uh, I got a very prompt reply uh, addressing all of my concerns. And so thank you again. Bye. Further communication from council. We have a motion to adjourn, please. Move by, Councilor Griswold, take by Councilor Dish. Discussion? All in favor? Opposed? We are adjourned. <laughs> <laughs>